Hi, my name is Anouk Fussel. I'm co-director of Turbo Kid and Summer of 84. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Monday, and this is episode 169, a Frankensteinian episode, which will include our Women in Horror Month coverage for 2019. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. You can become a patron for as little as $2.50 a month at patreon.com forward slash movie podcast network on horror movie podcast you'll get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy rent or avoid these movies and i'm your mc for the evening gilman joel robertson filling in for jay of the dead who will be joining us later in the show and my co-hosts tonight are dave dr shock becker from just outside philadelphia pa and Wolfman, Josh, and Joel, I love you, honeybee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, guys, we are joined by a very special guest tonight. The one, the only, Natasha Pacetta, who is the director of digital production and social media engagement for Cinestate and Fangoria Magazine. Natasha is also the writer, director, and star of the short horror film Road Trash. Natasha, welcome to Horror Movie Podcast. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yes. And uh, Natasha, of course, we go way back, way back. Uh, she's been on Retro Movie Geek a couple times, now going to come on again, hopefully in the very near future, I think, to cover Sleepy Hollow, I believe is what we have mm-hmm. on the docket, a, f- a favorite of hers and of mine as well. So, uh, Natasha, I'm so happy you could be here for our Women in Horror episode. You, of course, wrote and directed Road Trash, which I've seen it at least three times, maybe even four at this point. I loved oh it. Gosh. Yeah, no, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because you've been on my show and you're really nice. I actually really <laughs> loved your short film. So last we talked, I know I was able to see it through Vimeo. Is it available in any other platforms at this point or not? It's not right now. It's still making the film festival circuit, but I'm truly humbled that you've seen it four times. So my movie has been viewed four times, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> at least four whole times. <laughs> What can you tell our audience about that film? Yeah, so I uh, had never made a short film before, and I'm a lifelong horror fan. And about two years ago, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try to make one. And it's a five-minute little short video. It's uh, a, a werewolf movie, and the plot oh. is <laughs> the plot's pretty weird. Um, It centers around a character named Alice, and she has a very strange addiction. She's addicted to burying roadkill, which is very dangerous. And I don't, I would not recommend doing that at all. (laughs) (laughs) And then one day she buries something she shouldn't have. And that creature is pissed and comes back to life and chases her around until 
things get a little ugly for her. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Dude, you'll love it. No, you'll love it. It, it, It's got great practical effects. uh, And I don't know if I said this, but Natasha stars in it and does a fantastic job. Uh, It was, (laughs) you did, you did, you were great. It's, it's got, there's an awesome just attitude to the whole movie, Josh. I think you will totally dig. I, Josh is, a, of course, he's Wolfman Josh. So obviously he's going to love nice. uh, yes. you know, the uh, mm-hmm. the conceit of the film. But it is great. It is a fun, fun short film. So I cannot recommend it enough. Oh, thank you. And we have to say, because uh, the horror fans listening right now would love who narrates your short film, which is so funny because I think when we had you on last time, I completely negated it and never even brought <laughs> yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the the coolest part about this movie is that Heather Lagenkamp, who plays Nancy Thompson, of course, um, agreed to narrate this film. And I was completely shocked that she agreed to do that. Um, I literally just reached out to her out of the blue and she was into it. And it just so happened that her daughter was really into photographing roadkill. So she was like totally into it. And her, her daughter was like, mom, you should do this. And, um, you know, thank God, because I could, it was a dream come true to have Heather attached to this project and to, um, you know, she did the narration. So I was only with her for about two hours in a recording studio in Burbank for that, but it was just great to direct her narration and just spend some time with her. And she is truly the, probably the best person in the world, hands down. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. It was a very surreal moment. Oh, I bet it was. And the whole time I would have just been going, you're dancing. I know, because she looks like exactly the same. She does. It's just hard to, you know, disassociate her from Nancy because you know, Nancy is her. That's her personality to a large degree. So she's just right. this lovely, warm person who is just fun and down to be in a nobody's werewolf movie. <laughs> so. Well, she obviously saw the potential in it and she was right because the final product is excellent. And again, I'm not just saying that. If Look, if the movie had been me, I'd have been like a lot of interesting choices you, you made uh, in that one, Natasha. But no, it's actually a really fun, fun movie. I, I really... Loved it. So thank you so much, Joel. Absolutely. All right. So tonight on Horror Movie Podcast, we are going to start with our Women in Horror Month coverage. Each of us has selected one female helmed feature film. That's hard to say to bring to the table for discussion. And after that, we'll be joined by the one and only Jay of the Dead for a special segment. And finally, we'll end with some top 10 list fun. But let's kick things off tonight with some theme discussion. This is the 10th annual Women in Horror Month. Now, Women in Horror Month is a grassroots initiative which encourages supporters to learn about and showcase the underrepresented work of women in the horror industry, whether on screen, behind the scenes, or contributing in other artistic ways. Officially, Women in Horror Month celebrates those contributions throughout the year via the official blog, which is called Axe Wound, as well as the Axe Wound Film Festival and with the official Women in Horror Month events in the month of February. Unofficially, the internet has given Women in Horror Month a life of its own so movie geeks like us can jump on the bandwagon and do our part to help shine a light on women in horror. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, talk about this month, what it means, and kick it over to Dr. Shock to get us started. Uh, You know, to prepare for this episode tonight, I was looking at um, movies that had been directed by women 
I mean, going back into the, you know, the, the, the 70s, 80s, as far as horror films, um, you know, like the, the Slumber Party Massacre and, of course, Pet Cemetery, and, you know, carrying it forth like American Psycho. And recently, there have been quite a few. And there's a, 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 there's an excellent article that I found in Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, it was written by uh, Phoebe Riley. And it was called From Babadook to Raw, The Rise of the Modern Female Horror Filmmaker. And uh, it talked about sort of a new wave of horror films helmed by women who the article said have helped elevate the genre by opening it up to stories that unsettle audiences in new, different and unexpected ways. Now, almost two years to the day after this article was printed, Jason Blum, uh, you know, arguably the most recognizable name in horror today, got into some hot water when he was asked why Blumhouse hadn't released a feature film directed by a woman. Jason Blum said, and this is a quote, there aren't a lot of female directors, period, and even less who are inclined to do horror. Of course, he got lambasted on social media almost <laughs> right. immediately yeah. after yeah. that statement, but he actually apologized at the premiere of Halloween 2018, which was later that same day. And he said, uh, today was a great day for me because I learned a lot and because there are a lot of women out there that I'm going to meet as a result of today. Uh, but then also uh, in that same article in Rolling Stone, a director had uh, talked about a, uh, an encounter she had with a fan at a festival. And the quote was, a young guy in, in a festival audience told me that it was nice to have women in the genre because it brought some softness. Now, what was interesting was he was talking to the director, Julia Ducournau, who did the cannibal-themed film Raw, <laughs> which is not a movie that I think brought any softness to the genre. So even despite, with the recent trend, with the way things are going, I mean, you know, there have been a lot of movies directed by women recently. Obviously, there are still some challenges in the industry and from a segment, whether it's large or small, percentage of the fan base. I'm just wondering, what's it going to take to turn the tide on this? A, a movie like that hits the success and maybe something like Get Out? And is there one film that could accomplish both of these things with both the industry and the fan base? I'm not sure because it seems like it's two different issues. But, you know, at what point will the, will, the, will the tide turn on this, I'm wondering? Yeah, I mean, to have the cultural impact of Get Out, then horror has to be in a much better place in the mainstream as well probably so that that seems like a high bar but i think you you know you mentioned the babadook i think that's a good example of a film that was beloved by critics pretty much universally so i don't know like that i think it's happening but it's definitely happening very slowly and i think um I don't know. I, I mean, that's one of the biggest questions i have is like what can be done about it because we know women are or at least young girls comprise the large demographic of people who actually pay to go see horror movies. And so we know that, you know, women represent a huge portion of, of, the, of horror viewership. Right. And they certainly represent a, a big portion of the population, but then that's not reflected on the production end of things. Oh, it's interesting, Dave. I think I'm, I'm a huge believer in hire the right person for the job, regardless of gender. So my, my perspective on women in film and especially horror is, hey, if they're the right person to do this, then absolutely hire them. I really, I can't get behind, you know, anyone who has to fill a quota or be politically correct and 
Um, I think that's where some of my pessimism comes from. <laughs> um, I do definitely believe in giving everyone a fair shot. You know, it's it just comes down to is it the right person for the job? And I do know that the film industry can be a boys club sometimes, but I think as evidence, you know, throughout film history that women who want the jobs um, go after the jobs they want, like Deborah Hill and uh, Catherine Bigelow, who I'll talk about with Near Dark. And I guess that'd be controversial of me to say, um, as a, a woman make, <laughs> trying to get into the film industry. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely, you know, my laurels are on if you're the right person and you go after the job and and you can prove yourself in that position, then you should get that job. And I, I do know there's problems, but I think, you know, women will continue to, the women who are interested in those positions will continue to show their interest and get those jobs. Well, I think, so I agree and disagree with you, I think, because I think what you're saying is, is right, that they should always hire the best candidate, but then you have a problem of visibility, I think, as well. Like, just as an example, so Paramount just announced this initiative that they're going to green light at least a certain number of female-helmed films over the next 18 months. So that could be seen as kind of what Natasha's talking about is kind of forcing the issue. But if you look at Paramount's releases, which I, which I thought was super interesting, of the top 1,200 films from 2007 to 2018, Paramount was the least friendly female distributor of 125 films distributed. Zero, actually, of their films in 2018 were directed by women. And so I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a problem of like women aren't interested in these jobs. I think that I think there's an issue of also getting the opportunities given to them as well, you know, and it's like you see this a lot with young men directors, they'll get a short film at, at a festival and then they'll get a, they'll get a feature opportunity or they'll, they'll have like a decent indie film at a festival and they'll get a gigantic franchise and you just don't see that with female directors as much i mean you're starting to but so yeah i mean i guess that's why i'm wondering what is what is the answer and i don't know that it's political correctness um is a very charged <laughs> like notion and term but there, there has to be some way for the many women who like for instance reached out to jason blum to to have those that kind of visibility without a major gaffe on Jason Blum's part. Like, why didn't he know about any of those women before he made that comment? That's, that's an interesting thing to consider, I think. In the article, uh, well, at least one of the articles I read about that situation with him, he, you know, he, he made a comment that he had reached out to a few and that, you know, he'd offered projects. And, and it's interesting to note that uh, I believe, um, I think Jennifer Kent was one. There was a, there was a couple other recognizable names that he mentioned. Jennifer Kent was one. Yeah, yeah. He, and she, yeah, and I think she even maybe it was her said that yeah, yeah, you know he he had, but that I, I don't remember if it was her, but it was somebody of, of that ilk that said he had, but you know that hadn't been presented with a project that she was really interested in at that point. So I I feel like with Blum, you know, because he is 
He's a business guy. I mean, he, you know, you, one thing you have to say about him, he's extre- an extremely astute uh, business person. And I feel like with him, he knew the names that had had recent success. And so that was the, the names he's reached out to. Like, I, I, and I guess it's the question that I have. And I mean, I'm, I'm asking this not in a provocative way at all. I'm saying, what is the problem? Like, what is, the, is it systemic? Is there a, a concerted effort like you know going to that idea of the good you know the good old boys club because i mean that has existed in hollywood and i don't think you know anybody who acts like it hasn't uh, is being either naive at best or disingenuous at worst and i think that it has existed but i guess the question i have is what is the root cause now not what's the root cause for in 1955 what's the root cause that's a good question in, I- 2019 doesn't it seem weird that like why would people a lot of which let's be honest purport themselves to be extraordinarily progressive in their ideas are going to s- suddenly go you know what i just don't think a woman can hack it i mean it just it seems really <laughs> odd to me that they would i just can't hear that and i'm not saying it doesn't i'm not saying it doesn't and i'm not saying behind closed doors that they're like oh you know in front of the camera we're like oh yes absolutely we we're gonna definitely make sure that you know we have more and more female directors in the behind closed doors. yeah right that's not gonna i you know who knows maybe that's what's happening I'm almost wondering if it's like if you if you look at some of these some of these films like The Invitation, which I thought was great, and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. There's an interesting quote, and, and again, it was from this um, from this article uh, in Rolling Stone, and it was it should come as no surprise that after decades of film focused on female protagonists whose survival might have an unsavory relationship to her sexuality, or whose demise involves sickly imaginative levels of torture. Women want to wrest control of genre narratives. And these things, like like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, I think the director said it was like a um, Sergio Leone meets uh, David Lynch. And you could see that in the film. <laughs> so they're very, I'm not going to say unusual, but well, they are. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of against the grain of other types of horror being released. Could that be a reason? Uh, could people be, uh, you know, saying, okay, well, that's good for this sort of indie market, but will that translate to a, a bigger budget? Yeah, I mean, I think, though, you don't see that with male directors as much, in my opinion. I mean, no, I, I, and you're right. You're right. And I'm not saying it should be that. I'm just saying, is that the thinking? Is that, but you're absolutely, no, you don't see it with, with male directors. If it's an indie film and it's, it's someone who's seen as like visionary, they're more than willing to take a chance on that. In fact, they're all have in the bidding war over these types of guys, just like uh, Jared who did uh, and recently sweetheart at, at Sundance, you know, he has had one theatrical film. Sweetheart's fantastic. So I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be a big hit, but in terms of, you know, his current box office, he's released one film and it what didn't do very well uh, financially. And then there was just a gigantic multi-million dollar bidding war over his next project. And I just, I guarantee you're not seeing that with a lot of female directors. Same with like, you know, I think of uh, Colin Trevorrow, if that's his name. I'm like, yes, that's right. The pronunciation. Yeah. But yeah, he made safety, not guaranteed. And then, which is a fine, fun, little quirky indie film, but then he gets handed the keys to the kingdom for Jurassic park. I mean, you know, and they're having directed now, you know, Jurassic world. And that's, you just don't see that. Like I was, I was talking to Ashlyn Clark, uh, you know, about getting her on this episode, but she had tweeted a couple days ago from variety. It says more than 80% of female directors never make a second film as opposed to more than 50% of 
male directors. And so she was just kind of talking about why that might be. And Mary Lambert, the Mary Lambert, <laughs> Uh, responded to this kind of chain of interactions. And she said, unfortunately, you have to take jobs in order to survive and support your family. I directed a number one box office studio feature, which still holds the record for the highest grossing horror film directed by a woman and received no new offers. That's insane to think about. Can I just interject this, Josh? I think it's important to note that was in 1989. And I'm not saying that that was so long ago, but it was in 1989. And I do feel that the the tone is decidedly different nowadays. And, and I feel like that's good. I mean, it's great. I, I guess where my, and I mean this in just a more of a rhetorical sense, I you, you bring up the Sweethearts uh, uh, filmmaker. What was his name again? Sorry. J.D. Dillard. I feel like his example is not just unique you know, amongst you know, male versus female, that's like unique amongst the like maybe probably less than one percent of film indie filmmakers have that experience. Oh, for sure, for sure. You can point to the director of Safety Not Guaranteed and the director of sure. Monsters sure. and the director of Slight, yep. and there are those stories in the last ten years, yes. and there aren't really with female directors. I don't know. I mean, I don't look. I'm not. I'm not claiming to have any answers, and I'm not saying it has to be a you know, forced. Wait, wait, we weren't going to solve the problem tonight. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, and, and I'm not saying that you have to force them to hire women who are unqualified, but there is clearly a missing link here somewhere. And then I guess all you can do, at least, in, you know, like what we're doing tonight is with our reach is to shine a light. Like we, like you said in the introduction on people who are doing interesting work. I agree. I think, you know, there, there is no like big, solution out there but i think exactly what you said you know getting screen time and and talking to the people who are you know making interesting things and you know i think that's the way that it helps you know people get out there and and get their names out there yeah and it is up to the filmmakers to a large degree because there have to be people out there telling their own stories for those to get on the screen. Like my background is I'm a Pacific Islander and the Pacific Island film industry is gigantic in New Zealand and virtually non-existent in the United States, you know? And so mm -hmm. for those stories to get told, you know, without an industry surrounding it, people like myself have to go out and tell our own stories for those to get out into the mainstream because you you can't expect someone without any cultural understanding of where you're coming from to be telling the kinds of stories you're going to want to see on screen, I guess. So it, it is up to the filmmakers for sure to take initiative, but then how do we connect those people with people in power? And so I, I don't know if you are all connected to Fangoria films, but I am curious, like Chelsea Stardust was one of the jurors for our horror cinema awards last week. And she's the director of an upcoming Fangoria film, if I'm not mistaken, um, yep. Satanic Panic. So, like, what? Uh, not to get into the details of like her contract or anything, but like, how <laughs> how how was she discovered, and why, and how was she selected for Fangoria? Was that intentional to hire a female director, or was that just happenstance because she seemed like an interesting person? 
I think my boss, he actually saw uh, a short film that she did. And I think she also did a feature film um, before she was chosen to direct Satanic Panic for Fangoria. And he really liked it. And he knew that she coincidentally used to be Jason Blum's assistant. (laughs) And, um, you know, he he liked her and, and brought her on and wanted to give her a chance. And you know, she was great. And I can't wait for you all to, uh, to see Satanic Panic because it was bonkers. I was on set for a couple days and it is crazy <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> and it's interesting you said that, Natasha, that he saw her short film. And if you think about it, almost what is the isn't there an orchestra and i'm showing how sophisticated i am here by where i'm about to go with this uh, I, there's an orchestra i believe or I, there at one point was one where didn't they audition their new potential members of the orchestra by having them actually behind a curtain and play their instrument i feel like that's an actual thing that happened i didn't just imagine it in some fever dream i'm pretty sure that that's a real thing did anybody does that ring a bell for anybody else <laughs> Okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Pretend I made it up. So let's say hypothetically that actually happened. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, because I remember the thought process was they didn't want to know the gender and they didn't want to know the ethnic background. It was about the music, period. And so right. whatever they heard from on the other side of that curtain, that was the person they picked. Didn't matter. And so I think that in that regard, it, film, unless, of course, you know, Let's just say hypothetically someone stars in their own uh, awesome werewolf uh, short horror film. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, if someone sees a film and they don't you know, get the credit, let's say we had, you didn't have the credits on it, right? they just see the film for what it is. I almost feel like that would be a really great litmus test to decide whether or not someone is a great choice to be, you know, helming the the movie that your your company is going to put out. Because I think that's the other thing that always has to come into the equation. It is a business. And, right. that, you know, and there's so much, I, I got to imagine on no matter what level you're at, but obviously the higher the level goes up, the worse I'm sure it is, that there's so much just uh, you know, concern over every little possible permutation of you know, what could go wrong and this and, that, and overthinking it. I almost, I almost feel like on some level we give the folks at that when they get up to that level when we're talking about the Paramounts and the Universals, almost too much credit that they even think about <laughs> what it's going to come across that they didn't pick anybody other than a bunch of white guys. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like I, I don't even know that they go there. I think their, their immediate thing is okay. Did his last picture make a billion? Okay, let's let's go with him. You know what I mean? Like I think that. Yeah. And then it, but it creates this perpetuating cycle where the only people who ever get the jobs are the people whose last picture made a billion. Well, those all have happened to have been men, you know, so and it just kind of keeps going round and round and round. And right. Yeah. And if there's so if they can find someone profitable like James Wan, they're happy to hire sure. James Wan. Sure. In that situation. Right. But James Wan only succeeded in that way because Jason Blum took a chance on him when he was at his at his worst. Right. So he had a failed film and Jason Blum's model was hire directors who have you know can't get hired in hollywood basically and give them a chance to start over and so james wan's career was built back up because blum was thinking outside the box in that way but then yeah so then once wan's back into the machinery then you know that's i think you're right joel i think they're just looking at you know what's gonna in yeah i don't know how much people care about this stuff certainly we're trying not to get political and it's a very fine line to walk but Hmm. but just to give some statistics because i think they are interesting within the context of this discussion like films that so this is from a study that ucla college of social sciences did so that's your source you can take it or leave it for what that is this is being reported on by womeninhollywood.com 
um, they've just released this diversity port, which they do every couple of years to kind of see how things are changing. And while things are getting much better for women and minorities, there's still, there's still a huge disparity between women and minorities and white males within the film industry. And it's the, but the interesting thing about that to me is that the, the films with casts that were more diverse with regard to women and minorities, those were the highest media and global box office films and the films that had minority and female casts below 20% were the least successful global box office films. So Mm. there's, you know, mathematical evidence for the inclusion of diverse casts in that way. I don't know. I I find that kind of thing interesting. And also if you're looking at women in the film industry, and again, we're talking about a population, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but, you know, it's it's about fifty percent of the country, probably more than half of the United States is female. If uh, the statistics are similar to what they've what they've always been, with that being the case, there are less than two to one among female leads. Female leads in films are only thirty two percent of the films made. Four to one among film directors. So only twelve percent of the women are directors. Twelve percent of writers. It just doesn't match. Even John Wayne in that awful, <laughs> that awful uh, interview that was going around the internet a couple of days ago, he was saying like, shouldn't the screen world at least reflect to the regular world? That's all I'm saying, you know. Like, there, there we it, it could at least be the same as real life. And and if it's not, then to me that signals that there's some kind of problem. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. You guys disagree? I can tell you disagree. No, no I don't disagree. <laughs> but I will. I will no. add. I will add that. I think that the old myth of, well, you know, we can't have you know, too diverse a cast because, you know, the, the audience won't show up for it. I feel like that's been dispelled time and time again. Like that, that, that shouldn't even be up for a discussion at this point. And well, it's been dispelled, but has it changed the reality of what happens based on the numbers we're seeing? It hasn't changed. It, it is changing, though. I mean, I think when you have a movie like Black Panther make as much money as sure. it made, there is zero way every studio exec didn't sit up and go, oh, really? In fact, I don't want to give anything away because I I know we're not covering horror noir, okay? And I, I don't want to like go too deep into the documentary, but someone in that documentary, I'm quoting it as the source, made a comment that they work in the industry and that they were privy, I, you know, hearsay here, but to some knowledge that there were executives that were essentially changing scripts to be more uh, African-American. They were trying to make the, they were not meaning that they were trying to make them predominantly the cast, you know, they initially had gone in with, oh, okay, you know, we'll have your, you know, usual, you know, Brad Pitt starring, blah, 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 blah. And now there was an actual intention yeah. to do that. I, I hear you. Yeah. And that's definitely happening. Like my work is in the documentary world mostly, but it's certainly happening. Like one, one of my co-directors on one of my projects did a solo film last year that uh, was shot in Detroit. And he's a, he's a white male. And he shot this film in kind of like inner city black neighborhoods in Detroit. And it's an incredible movie. Like, I think it's honestly, I think it's Academy Award worthy documentary, but he could not. And and also it was funded throughout the entire filming process by Sundance, Hot Docs, like all the biggest names in documentary. Skywalker Ranch supported it like while it was being made. But by the time it actually came out, because it took like four to six years, you know, to get through production on a documentary like that, the world had changed so much that people were talking about, well, not only are you a white guy coming and telling the story that 
isn't yours you're colonizing the story but secondly like black males was so last year this year's all black women so like take a hike buddy you know isn't that think, offensive in and of itself to say absolutely. okay yeah <laughs> but on the other hand like i don't think that it's coming from a bad place i think it's coming from that same idea what i'm saying is like people within those communities should be telling their own stories because there is a history of culture being colonized and so like i mean the problem is we're just living in such a sensitive time that there's not room for people to kind of like make mistakes or adjustments i think if we really wanted to see positive change you have to allow for the progress to happen but you know like i just want to play my own devil's advocate and speak to natasha's point that it's important to cast the right person or to hire the right person as a director and that was made very clear to me today when I read the news that Catherine Hardwick's going to be directing the Lost Boys pilot for the CW. Now, uh, for people who don't know who Catherine Hardwick is, I think she's done some really cool stuff. She did the fictionalized version of the Dogtown and Z Boys. Um, can't remember what it was called, but Lord, Lords done, of Dogtown. Lords of Dogtown. Yeah, she's done some cool work. Didn't she do the movie Thirteen? She did. She did yes. Thirteen. But at this point in her career, she's best known for being the creator of Twilight. And as a big Lost Boys fan, it's it's my number three horror film of all time. Um, seeing it first ending up on the CW is a little bit scary. They've done better work recently, so I'll, I'll hand it to them. But still, it's a little bit scary to see Lost Boys on CW. To see that they cast Tyler Posey, who's a, a fine young actor, but... He's best known for the Teen Wolf series on MTV, which is not great. And lastly, you know, with bringing in Catherine Hardwick then to direct from, you know, the maker of Twilight, it's like my worst nightmare, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's a case where I'd like say like, you know, skip the diversity. Like, let's find. (laughs) That is kind of a. You know, when I first read about that, I was just like, oh, and it really wasn't be- it wasn't because of, you know, Catherine, you know, it was really because of the CW and where it was, you know, yeah. ending up. And, you know, it's just kind of hard to stomach as a Lost Boys fan that it will be reincarnated as this teeny bopper whatever yeah. you know <laughs> they've also announced that the frog brothers are going to be the frog sisters in this version so w- this is actually this project is a great example of how this type of thing can go possibly arrive well, and now, right. let, now let me play devil's advocate <laughs> i will say i what i heard about the frog sisters aspect the more i thought that through if they play them as those characters were Right. If you just happen to have sisters in that role, sure. but they're that weird, creepy, like just, you know, well, you'll, uh, you'll get all their advice from horror comics. And I'm down with that. Like that doesn't bother me at all. Uh, what it's bo- all execution dependent. It, all it, it is 100 yes. percent. And all these Catherine Hardwick has proven her chops and other things. I totally get the point that her last vampire outing may not have been, you know, really any horror fans cup of tea. No offense if you're out there and you love Twilight. But I'm just saying that uh, I'm proud to say I've never seen one. But, Good job. Yeah, yes, I've avoided it. I have not, I have not seen one either. I have okay. uh, avoided them to this point. I've seen well. the majority of them. <laughs> I've seen only one. I was just speaking to a fan this week. Raul uh, from Salt Lake City was saying, you know, hey, guys, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you if you cover Twilight. And under the context of monsters defanged, like what 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 happens to our monsters mm. when they're presented for whether it be PG-13 audiences or television. I don't know that it's... Can we do Love at First Bite? 
Could, could we maybe just do Love at First Bite okay, or sure. uh, Once Bitten? And the Monsters. Okay, okay. Do I'm down that? with that. <laughs> I'm down with that. <laughs> All right, so I guess the real point of, you know, the Women in Horror Month, as I understand it, is to really celebrate, you know, the idea of films that are directed by women. So we are going to do that here in this episode. We will start with Wolfman Josh. Okay, the film that I wanted to talk about is a film called Honeymoon. So we didn't get a regular wedding cake. We decided on something that was special for us instead. I love you, honeybee. So this is the famous family cottage. Do you like it? Here's what I see. The woods. A lake. No one around. B? This isn't funny. B? Please! B! I could be human. What's going on with you? You feel distant, different. Did something happen in the woods? Something bad happened to me. Something bad happened to me in the woods. So, despite being Women in Horror Month, it's also Black History Month. So, initially, I was looking for a film uh, directed by Black women. And there is actually a Toni Morrison film uh, based on her book, directed by Jonathan Demi, starring Oprah, um, of her book Beloved, which is a Black ghost story. So, I considered that one, but I thought... Now I want to I want to go for the hat trick here and get a female writer, director, and star. That's that was that was my goal. So that's how I ultimately decided on Honeymoon over Beloved. So Honeymoon is a 2014 film. It's directed by Lee Janiak and written by Lee Janiak as well as Phil Graziadi. I apologize to Phil. I did not look at your last name before the moment that I read it aloud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is it's pretty interesting film and it's one that um i would say tonally it's it's almost like if you took what keeps you alive and spring and melded those two <laughs> totally together basically what you have is a young newlywed couple uh they they're on their honeymoon and they head to the character b's family cabin in the woods and so b is played by rose leslie uh who people would might recognize from game of thrones and Paul, her husband, her new husband is Harry Treadway, who people might recognize from Penny Dreadful. Um, he's Dr. Frankenstein on Penny Dreadful, does an excellent job in that show. Um, but basically, they go to this late country home, and they're having, much like What Keeps You Alive, just kind of a very pleasant time when all of a sudden, Paul starts to realize that things aren't quite right with B. And it starts with her kind of disappearing in the night. She's potentially having episodes of sleepwalking. And so the film is a lot of Paul kind of investigating what exactly is going on with his new wife. And what is going on is pretty dire. It's pretty intense. So have you guys, have you guys seen Honeymoon? No, I have not, no, but I, I, have I, not. I am familiar with it. In fact, a good friend of mine, Jesse, who's been a retro movie geek many times has recommended that I watch it. And so it's, it's been in the queue and, uh, 
I'm hoping that you came down on it being a, a good movie as well, because she loves it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's really interesting, um, especially if you liked those two films I referenced. You're probably going to like this a lot. There's a lot of chemistry between the leads, which kind of surprised me at first because, um, you know, my experience with Harry Treadaway from Penny Dreadful is he's a very quirky actor, you know, and my other experience with him is as a child actor. So it was really weird for me to see him in this role as kind of the leading man love interest. It didn't square with what I know him as ultimately he did a really good job because he does have to play pretty paranoid and pretty freaked out uh, by the end of the film. Um, his accent did slip a bit, you know, he's an English actor and, uh, he's playing an American character here and it wasn't totally convincing all the way through, but it's interesting seeing these two lead actors interact with each other because you, like I got the sense as a viewer, like they were kind of uncomfortable with some of the dialogue. And so their um, takes on the lines, like their line readings are really kind of quirky and creative. And, it, and I think you had some kind of cheesy dialogue that they, I don't know, addressed in an interesting way. And and again, it made it kind of strange to see Harry Treadaway in that role. And it made it harder for me to kind of buy into him as the love interest main guy, but it, it ultimately made for a really interesting viewing experience. Uh, yeah. Honeymoon is a really creepy movie. Like it's, it's not completely terrifying, although they, you know, there's some body horror that, will definitely get under your skin um, <laughs> quite literally, but, uh, but it is creepy throughout and it has this very mysterious atmospheric feel for the majority of the film. And then it delivers on the, on the gore and on the scares as you get to the end. So there is probably something deeper here being communicated than I got out of my first viewing. I think you know, there's there's a lot to do with the female body, and there's uh, things going on with this young woman that are uh, you know foreign to me as as a man, and so it would definitely take probably a rewatch for me to get a better grasp on on my analysis. But just as a looking at it as a horror film, I would say, you know, it, it's more of the psychological thriller. There's definitely a, a mystery aspect, and it plays like a kind of indie version of that, much like uh, what keeps you alive, but then it does go full horror um, at the end. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's an easy film to recommend for me. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's streaming on shutter right now, actually. Okay. So it's easy to watch for okay. most people. Have to check that one out. Yeah. I, for me, um, I would give this film probably a seven out of 10. And I would say it's a strong rental recommendation. And again, because it's streaming on shutter, a lot of horror fans have that it's, it's an easy way to watch it. And if you don't have shutter, uh, you can certainly go to shutter.com and use the promo code HMP to get your free 30 day trial. But, um, commercial aside, uh, it's, it really is worth a watch and it is available on other platforms if you don't want to subscribe to shutter. So, yeah, I definitely recommend people check it out. All right, excellent. Yeah, I uh, I will I will make it. I'll move it to the front of the queue, but but not in front of other movies, right, Dave? Because I've been given yes. my my uh, orders on that <laughs> one. All right, so thank you very much, Josh. And I guess then it is my turn to review a film from 1990 called 
Mirror, Mirror. Behind this glass lies a century of terror. An evil force awaiting their deadly command. The mirror is using. Ghosts do not exist. I felt something. You can't just leave like that. I gotta think this through. Can he just leave like that? What the hell is going on? The rumors are true. There is something haunting Weatherworth House. Only it's not a ghost. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Natasha, are you mm-hmm. are you a bit of a fan based on an email exchange you and I yes. had? I thought you might be a fan of this movie. Yes, I have seen Mira Mira and I was very impressed that that was your choice because I am kind of obsessed with Rainbow Harvest, who plays the lead character in that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with where she is. Yes. Okay. We'll get where to that. Where did we'll, she go? I, I, I was going to actually ask you about that because we'll, we'll get to that. That, that is a fascinating. Okay. I feel like uh, 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 Preston, I know, I, I can't remember the actress's name, but I know wrote that fantastic uh, essay about the actress who had, you know, sort of disappeared. She had been in some cult films. It was a British actress and he did a great, great uh, article. I think it was played in, it was in a Scream magazine uh, and mm-hmm. her situation is even more enigmatic Dramatic, uh, to me, yes. but, we'll, but we'll get there. So Mirror Mirror is from 1990. It was not a, even though I think it's popped up in, in quite a few straight to video type of lists that I, I came across. It seems that it did have a short, very short theatrical run and ended up, you know, for, as most people saw it uh, at their local video store, it its poster and or video box is very recognizable. I remember seeing it. Now, 1990 for me, I watched horror movies prior to that, but when I really started getting into it, it's like the summer of 89 and into like 90 and then beyond, I just, you know, obsessed. And this movie, in because this is that moment when I'm living my dad i i'm I'm renting you know four or five movies a weekend and just obsessively watching these things the fact that i'd ever watched this movie before two days ago blows my mind like i don't understand how i missed this movie this movie is so in the wheelhouse of what i should have seen so it is about a young girl well i guess she's a teenager you know 16 ish years old uh and her name is megan she and her mother they're moving away from la and they're moving to this small town in iowa now at the very beginning of the movie and it's going to be a mild spoiler but i feel like i have to set it up uh, there is a murder that takes place in the 50s in the 1950s i won't say who it is and in this exact situation but that murder is connected to this mysterious and obviously evil mirror okay that that ties into uh witchcraft in some way shape or form so the family which is made up just of the mother played by karen black i might add uh and and the daughter Whoa. played yeah exactly <laughs> oh it gets better uh and play, played by rainbow harvest is the daughter which that is awesome that's her real name i just can't give that's such a I great name that. yeah, it's so fantastic and it's great because when you see her she so looks like rainbow heart like she looks the part it's it's great because (laughs) because here's the thing guys she's playing this teen goth you know it's in 1990 but it's still for all intents and purposes the 80s and she's playing a goth she is 
Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. I mean, she is so Winona Ryder for Beetlejuice. And I think one thing I read, I think it may have been a letterbox. I wish I could remember the person's name so I could attribute it to them. But they said, if, if you watch this movie with the idea that this is some sort of weird sequel where they just followed Lydia into like the like the she basically due to her experiences with Beetlejuice was now had this connection to these really dark disturbing forces and it took a really dark turn and like the movie takes on a whole different uh, tone I was like that's brilliant because that's exactly what it feels like um and so they move into the house the mirror is still there now prior to the moving in the house there had been these uh older women you know sort of like the the church ladies uh, of the town that had been cleaning out the house and dealing with the estate and one of the women runs an antique store that woman speaking of the munsters is played by none other than yvonne de carlo lily munster herself oh, is in wow. the, yeah and yeah i was like what what's happening this is amazing so <laughs> so so she's there she wants to take the mirror in fact has them move the mirror out before um uh, megan and her mother move in and yet when they arrive it's back it just magically appeared and megan feels this connection to the mirror she's obviously you know, like i said very goth in this small iowa town it's 1990 she doesn't fit in she wants the mirror she finds this connection to it and she she goes to the local high school befriends a girl named nikki and her uh, boyfriend but everybody else is horrifically mean bullying this girl she's also very reminiscent of in christine uh keith gordon's character arnie uh it's there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a similarity there too and in, in also in what happens to her character because as oh. the story progresses you get this certain uh, aspect of, of the connection with the mirror and bad things start to happen to people especially people that cross megan and kind of like christine and and the, you know, at first she's not necessarily a, a realizing the connection but as she realizes it and feels that connection and power you know it begins to change her so the movie has some good practical effects it's a lower budget movie but it's just that fun sort of 19 if you are into like 1990 what would have been essentially a straight to uh, to video type of film that's actually pretty darn well acted well written because that's the other thing i haven't even mentioned yet that the uh, the director uh, was a woman named i want to make sure i get this right here it is marina sargenti and the sad thing to me is much like uh mary lambert mary lambert went on to do a lot of tv stuff but i always found it uh you know really sad that you know she didn't get more work even work in horror would have been fantastic with the work she did with pet cemetery but with uh marina she had a tv movie she did after this and then a few tv shows and that's it and then by the at least as far as her imdb pages because her for all i know maybe she's done other things and it just hasn't been up updated but um she did this film and i feel like this movie is a feather in in her cap not to give not to play my hand too early on how i feel about the movie but it was also <laughs> written by two sisters uh, annette i don't know if i'm mm-hmm. saying this right cascone I didn't or, know that. yeah well it gets even cooler because annette cascone oh. or cascone cascone uh gina and her sister gina they not only wrote this together they also write a series of young adult uh, where actually I say middle grade horror novels called Dead Time Story. So it's kind of like Goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a whole cool. series. And apparently yeah. they even made a TV show back in the late 90s about it. And I did a little research uh-huh. on them. It was really cool. I was like, okay, this is this is awesome. So it's a fun movie. The kills in it are really effective uh, without giving too much away. There's something involving ste- death by steam, which was really well done, I thought. And it's just a really 
cool little movie from 1990 that I feel is wildly, wildly under underappreciated and underseen. And again, for me to never, I'd heard of it, but I think I always in my head lumped it in with, because if you look at the uh, original poster even, or the original box art, it has that sort of uh, like, it. you know, you had those kind of like early 90s movies and not to knock them, not to knock them, each of their own, but like, was it Meridian? And there was those ones where it was kind of like they were horror fantasy but there was like this or like soft core kind of aspect and i kind of they thought maybe yeah, it's just one of those like i kind of dismissed it and i and right. i was wrong woefully wrong and this is one of those movies that i wish i had discovered long long ago so hmm. i for me this movie is at least a 7.5 i was teetering between 7.5 and an 8 i think i'm gonna stick with 7.5 I'm, I'm gonna be you know somewhat balanced in my enthusiasm and you pulled off the hat trick. It's uh, written, directed, and starring. Wow! Yeah. yeah, boom! There there, and there it is. And uh, also, Stephen Tobolowski, the great Stephen Tobolowski, is in this movie. Oh, wow! Awesome! That's, that's hilarious. Great. Yeah, it is a super fun, weird movie. That's like you don't really know what's happening, and like there's some like weird like sexual thing going on with the mirror and. It's just a very bizarre movie that I can only compare it kind of to Prom Night 2. Hello, Mary Lou. Oh, I, I got like the same kind of vibe from Mirror Mirror that I got from Prom Night 2. Um, but I definitely recommend it as well. I It's just a fun movie. And yeah, Rainbow Harvest, where are you? what I want to know. Well, that's a very, actually, that'd be, that would be an awesome, we ought, we ought to collaborate and write like something and, and, and call it Rainbow Harvest, Where Are You? Because that's like the greatest <laughs> title ever. <laughs> I love that. It's funny you bring uh, up uh, Prom Night 2 because I had remembered really loving Prom Night 2 and then we covered it a few months, several months, probably, actually probably been a year now on Retro Movie Geek and actually Jesse, who I mentioned earlier, was on with us because she really loves that movie and it just didn't work for me anymore. I don't know what it really? was. Yeah, I don't know what it was about it. It just, this though worked for me really well. Like I really loved this movie. Dude, I love Prom Night too. I do too. It's yeah. a, a, you know, called a guilty pleasure, but uh, no, I love that movie too. I've actually been on like a mission to find the rocking horse in that movie. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I have contacted nearly every special effects person and producer who worked on that movie. I tracked down Ron Oliver who wrote the movie and uh, he didn't know where it was. And I tracked down the special effects guys. I can't remember their names right now, but they all were like, dude, we don't know where that rocking horse is. <laughs> you think we have that? <laughs> Do you know right now it's in someone's garage next to their grill? It's just sitting right. there. Yeah. So if anyone out there knows where it is, I'm looking for it and we'll pay some money for it. So. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say I can see what you're saying. There is totally a similarity. And if you are if you love movies like that, if you love movies from this time period, I know, and look, I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people you know, poo poo that early 90s uh, vibe of horror. And I honestly have a very soft spot because, again, that's when I first started getting into horror. I mean, I was I, I was exposed to a lot of the classics uh, as well in that time period. But just every time you go into the video store and see Seeing these, you know, the new full moon movies or the new what have yous, it was just always a pleasure. And that's what this movie represented for me. And just watching it, it just it's a fun movie. And honestly, to to what you said earlier, Josh, about honeymoon, I think there is a lot more subtext to this movie, as Natasha alluded to. 
and and regarding this young woman's awakening and her sense of empowerment and it's it's there's a lot there i feel like there was a lot of layers there that that were not always in movies at this time <laughs> and so i you can sense yeah. that they were trying to do more with the material and and i my hat's off to them for that so like i said for me you know what screw it it's an eight it's gonna be an eight <laughs> and uh and i know it's not gonna be an eight for everybody but for me it's an eight and i say definitely stream it uh, i do believe that i'm trying to remember was it i think is it on is it shutter I'm seeing that it's included with an Amazon Prime subscription, so you can stream it for free. Okay, that was Amazon okay. Prime. Okay, I have Prime, so that's and I have Shutter mm. as well, so I, I was able to see it for free. That's why I was trying to remember which one it was. So yeah, it is there now. Apparently, there are three sequels to this thing, which I did not know. What? Oh, and, and let's just say, let's pretend that there weren't, because <laughs> from what I what I could gather from the some of the trailers I watched let's just let mirror mirror exist in its own universe i think would be for the best <laughs> um so but yeah for me it's an eight i say definitely stream it i would love to hunt this down apparently the dvd is out of print so uh, my dream is to come across you know some garage sale somewhere and it'll be you know vhs of it will just be sitting there and like a, in the right. in like the oversized box it apparently came in and i will be a very very happy chappy so uh that is that is my review mirror mirror 1990 i think i would go eight on that as well would you tell people nice. to rent it or buy it? Uh, I would say buy it if you see it. Like Joel was saying, right. it's out if of print. If you see it at the garage so. sale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'd say definitely snatch that up because, you know, you could, even if you don't like the movie, you could resell it to dorks like me and Joel. And <laughs> exactly. We'll pay for it. Exactly. $300 exactly. on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's great. All right. Cool. So, Natasha, do you have a, a movie to review for the episode? Yes, I do. Uh, my movie is Near Dark. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We we'll give him a week, see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. Nervous? I would be too if I were you. Near dark. Could be your boys falling in with control. Check out time. Pray for daylight. The night has its price. Directed and co-written by Catherine Bigelow. Uh, it was co-written with Eric Red, who of course did The Hitcher. Yes. And Bad Moon. Yes. Underrated werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, this, this movie is so unique in the vampire verse, um, just because they throw out all of the gothic romantic rules of the vampire. And I love that Catherine and Eric set it in kind of like this neo-Western world too. Yeah. And it's just very atmospheric and very, you know, rough and tumble. And it's just a really unique, uh, you know, movie in the vampire world. Cause it actually came out, I think the same day, if not a day later or earlier than the lost boys in 1987. Right. So and not to mention you have Joshua, John Miller, um, is the brother of Jason Patrick. And so they're in competing vampire movies. Oh, wow. The same day. I yeah. didn't even realize that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was kind of hard, you know, uh, 
to market this film. It was, I remember uh, hearing Catherine Bigelow talk about how the marketing just, you know, they just really didn't care about, you know, getting her input and just kind of making it like, oh, here's a gory, you know, shot of Bill Paxton. Let's, you know, make that it. So I, I think they missed the whole story of this like nomadic family that would have been like any other family and just trying to do the best, you know, for their, their kids and loved ones. And, uh, you know, kind of missed the bigger picture with that, but I really like this movie. I, I actually didn't see this movie until about a year or so ago. And the cinematography is just great. Adam Greenberg, who did Terminator also Mm. did this movie and it just, it just looks like a painting, you know, it's very, it's very dark and moody and it's very foggy and smoky. And it's just this weird, different vampire movie that is so badass. It's like, F the rules. We're just going to make up our own <laughs> vampire yes. rules and just roll with it. Yes. So, <laughs> and it was Catherine's first directorial debut. She had co-directed a few movies, I think, before this, but this was her first solo movie. And it was actually in her contract that if the studio, I think it was Anchor Bay, picked up the spec script that she and Eric wrote, that she had to be the director. So that was in in the writer, I guess, for her. And and she got it. And she she did a wonderful job. And um, I was uh, listening to some old behind the scenes with them, like the cast, like Lance Hendrickson and... Uh, Bill Paxton, and they really, really liked working with Catherine. It seemed like she was very nurturing on set, but at the end of the day, she was incredibly decisive, which I think is a characteristic, you know, of successful directors. You need to be that decision maker. And uh, they just, you know, were thrilled with her work. And it's just a really, really cool vampire movie. And I love that the smoke effects in this movie were largely done with lit cigars under everyone's clothes. <laughs> so it was very, you know, it, it wasn't a big budget movie. I think it was a couple million. And, you know, they worked with what they had and and got it done. And, of course, Lance Henriksen plays an amazing part as Jesse. He's just so badass. And he yeah. really got and became that character. He lost a lot of weight for the role. Um, he, uh, he actually, he drove to the locate, the shoot location outside of Phoenix, I want to say in Arizona. And he drove instead of flying because he wanted to live that nomadic lifestyle. And along the way, he picked up a hitchhiker and like (laughs) tried out the Jesse character on this poor person (laughs) (laughs) and, and just about, you know, scared the living daylights out of him. But you know, I, I love this movie and it's always worth a rewatch. Like I see different details that I don't, I didn't see before when I previously watched it. And, you know, it's just a very cool vampire Western rough and tumble story. And, uh, I think, uh, if I had to rate it, I think I'd give it an eight out of 10. Nice. Yeah, that is nice. And can I just tell you that is hands down, my absolute favorite vampire movie. Like, wow, yes. Nice. Oh, hands yeah. down. I love Lost Boys. I am a Lost Boys fan. I'm not to knock Lost Boys. But I'm just saying, for me, I just, Near Dark 
is awesome. I mean, it is, it is, I mean, it's fantastic. It is a fantastic movie. It's a nine yeah. for me. Like it's, I love that movie. It is so good. So good. Nice. I, I, I'd probably committed a nine as well. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's incredible and it's, it, it's kind of interesting because the way it starts off, it's almost like a like a like a teen romance, mm -hmm. you know, and then it, and then it evolves into it gets into this scene. I mean, I always think of that bar scene when they walk into that bar. That is brutal. I mean, that is a brutal mm -hmm. sequence. Um, but just everything about it and the characters, the vampires themselves, they're 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 really like 87 seemed to be the year where it was vampires who are having a hell of a time. <laughs> You know, they're just really enjoying being vampires. And that's what you get from these characters. And I would have loved to see movies about their backstories. I mean, the one guy was in that was a Confederate soldier. I mean, how right. yeah. there's just a lot about it that a lot of layers to it. And I I, I love it too. I I'd committed a nine as well, and it's a buy. Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent buy. Oh yeah, definitely. I have like the collector's edition. Yeah. Nice. I, I'm probably at eight uh, as well. So yeah, I, I I love this movie as well. We also should say basically the cast from Aliens, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cool yeah. little detail with uh, Catherine Bigelow's history with James Cameron. So right, right, right. that's cool. right. Yep. And then Joshua John Miller, who I mentioned, is Jason Patrick's uh, little brother. Um, their father is actually the priest in the exorcist. Jason Miller. Yes. And Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And, and then, you know, their experience going to screenings of the exorcist after their father passed away was the foundation for what the script that Joshua John Miller went on to write, which is the final girls. One of my favorite horror comedies of the last, he wrote years, that. So. I completely. Um, oh, wow. I, I yeah. love that movie. God almighty. That's I love that very, movie. Yeah. Did you see that one, movie. Natasha? The final girls. No, from 2015? no, I haven't. It was, it was probably my favorite movie for 2015. I, 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 wow. One of them. I mean, it was, it's in the top three that year. If you do horror comedy, it's, it's a good. Oh, yeah. But it's more than that. And you're going to be second guessing it at the beginning of the movie. Like what the hell am I <laughs> But if you stick with it, yes, it's good. You'll never, you've never had a slasher film affect you emotionally. And there's actually a, a like a pretty heartbreaking scene in the film too. Yes, I it mean, is. Like a, a, a very couple. emotional. Yeah. yeah, a slasher movie that'll bring a tear to your eye is what that movie is. It is fantastic. Right. right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Natasha, for bringing that yes. one to the table. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I knew it would be a fave. All right, Dave. You ready to wow us with your pick? Yes. All right. I watched a movie called Prevenge. I'm really sorry about your loss, and I know it's been very difficult for you. And at the end of the day, you've got this force of nature now inside you. Baby knows what to do. Baby will tell you what to do. It's just nature's way. I think nature's a bit of an arse, though, don't you? You're getting better at this. I'm not in control. Don't want to know what's in there. I'm scared of her. I want to swap her to have him back. If you can't hear you, she can't. She's very articulate. Kill him or I'll kill you. You would not believe what I've been doing recently. Oh! Very efficient with that one. I could talk to you about child charity. You're insane. I am a working mother. Children these days are really spoiled. Like, mummy, I want a PlayStation. Mummy, I want you to kill that man. 
And it is about a woman who is pregnant, her significant other, I can't, I don't know if it was boyfriend or husband, is met a tragic end, and she is actually looking for revenge on those people who um, were involved, or at least involved in the event that caused his death. It was a mountain climbing accident, and she's looking for revenge on these people. It was written and directed by Alice Lowe, who also plays the lead and was also eight months pregnant during the shoot. Um, The the movie uh, took 11 days to shoot, so she was eight months pregnant throughout the entire movie. Um, (laughs) And it's very interesting because the character she plays, you're sympathetic. She's sympathetic, but then she's also the main antagonist like she's the most frightening and the most sympathetic character at the same time which you're going to get in a movie like this i suppose but and i gotta say the only other film that i recognize her from is sightseers which has a very similar vibe in terms of her being the protagonist and the villain of the movie right well it's interesting because what they set up as the villain is the unborn child which has a running commentary and is telling her to commit these murders to get this revenge mm. it's it's the unborn uh do- she knows it's a girl the unborn daughter saying they took my daddy kill them um you know and if and if she even finds herself sort of getting friendly with some of the people that she's running into um the the baby immediately snaps in and goes what are you doing get down to it let's get to work here it, it, so i that was an interesting co- but you don't ever really actually believe. I don't know that the movie ever even wants you to fully believe that it is the baby spurring her on to do this. The way they set the character up is it's a very conflicted, um, uh, you know, obviously very disturbed character. Um, and if the movie did have one weakness, it's how she gets access to all of these people. She's basically deceiving all of them into sort of accepting her or, or allowing her to, you know, uh, come into their lives in a way. And they don't always set up how she manages to do that. It just sort of happens sometimes in a couple instances, especially. But very well acted. And the dialogue between her and the baby, it, I really thought that was interesting. And it is does have its moments of gore. Let's just say there's there is one that every guy will will immediately bend over and cringe. One particular scene of violence. I would probably, if I were rated, I would give this a seven out of ten, and I would say to to stream it. Uh, it is on Shutter. So um, yeah, and I think it's a Shutter original, a uh, Shutter exclusive. Josh, were you saying it was the first Shutter exclusive? I think it was the one of the first Shutter exclusive films. Yeah, I believe. I could be wrong about that though. Okay, uh, but but again, and uh, you know, it it is in a lot of ways a, a not a one woman show. There are it does have a, a supporting cast, but she's the primary. You know, she's she's the driving force behind it, and it's a it's a very strong performance, and the fact that she directed and wrote it. 
and was also eight months pregnant at the time, I think makes it even more impressive. Um, yeah. So definitely one you're, you're going to want to check out. Very to, cool. To, be, to play a character like this and to be likable while doing it somehow is really impressive. <laughs> yeah. And to be likable and also, you know, uh, kind of despicable at times yeah. also you know that's what i'm saying to be able yeah. to pull that off simultaneously right. is right and again she kind of did that with sightseers as well but yeah I, I i enjoyed this as well i think i would also give this one a seven and uh yeah it's a it's a strong film but it, it definitely has like that indie indie movie vibe so oh well, yeah it has um, sort of cinema verite and in, in, in a few yeah. of the scenes and but still you know well made and and well and yeah. uh you know, and and I've heard people talk about dealing with kind of the issues that you have when you have a child of having to kind of give your body over to this other being, right? It's like kind of at the heart of the concept. So, right, right. That's that's interesting on that level. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. I, I read the synopsis before, and I definitely was interested, and in, we'll check it out after your review for sure. Great. Thank you. And it is, it's a dark, it is comedy, but it's a dark, very dark comedy. I don't know that there's any like straight up sort of just comedic scenes. Like you, even in the final girls, there's just comedy. This one is just sort of a dark comedy running throughout it. I think nice. it's the perversity of it that makes right. you laugh. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I am down for that. Excellent. All right. Well, I guess we'll bring this part of the show to a close. You guys have anything else you want to, uh, no, just to thank Natasha for joining yeah, thank us. You. I Absolutely. really appreciate you taking the time to do that and bringing such a classic movie to the table. It's fun. We haven't, we haven't really talked about that movie on the podcast before. So that's awesome. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank that's you guys great. so much for having me on. It was a blast. Absolutely. Awesome. Now, where thank can, you. where can they find you Natasha online? I know, of course I, I was going to ask you, we didn't have a chance before we started. I was going to ask you how the podcast was going. I don't know. Is that, is that something you can even talk about right now? But uh, what you got going on? Uh, yeah. So um, right now I'm trying to kickstart the Fangoria podcast network. So I have a couple interviews in the bag right now, a couple uh, overarching ideas. So I'm excited about that. That will probably start within the next couple months. So keep your ears and eyes open for that. I'll definitely let you guys know, of course, before, you know, when things start to heat up on that. But other than that, um, I think my film Road Trash has a Facebook and it's at Road Trash Film and my Instagram is at Road Trash Film and it's for the film, but I kind of use it as my personal Instagram also. So, um, yeah. And uh, if you're in Hamilton, Canada this weekend on Saturday, Road Trash is playing at Hexploitation uh, Film Festival soon. So. And keep an yeah. eye out on the Facebook and Instagram for news on upcoming screenings. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Keep an eye out on the at Road Trash Film Facebook and Instagram for all updates. Yes. And you, you if, if it ever ends up on a uh, streaming platform of sorts, which hopefully it will, please let us know because I would love to uh, to help push people towards it because it was it was a very great short film. A lot of fun. And uh, it's always fun having you here, Natasha, or, I, or any show that I'm on. Uh, always enjoy having you on. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, guys. This was such such a blast and such a thoughtful conversation about women in film. And I'd love to come on again if you guys want to have me on. Anytime. Yes. To have Anytime. You. All right. So thank you so much to Natasha from Fangoria for joining us here on the show. Now let's go to our special segment with Jay of the Dead. 
All right, so here we are with the one, the only, Jay of the Dead, back from the dead. Thank you. It's great to be here. That sounds funny. It feels funny to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, is that is kind of weird. And and as a longtime <laughs> listener to the show, pretty much since episode one, it's weird to hear you say it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, I mean, yeah, well, I, I don't even know a good segue into this. So do you uh, want to tell folks what's been going on? Obviously, they've been having to hear uh, this other chucklehead the last couple episodes, and I'm sure they've been wondering, <laughs> uh, you know, hey, where's Jay? What's going on? That's right. Yeah. And it's a fair question. So yeah, I I have a few things to tell people. So after nine years of what I would consider full-time podcasting, I've decided to take a, well, an indefinite hiatus. And so that means I've stepped down as the host of Horror Movie Podcast, as well as Movie Podcast Weekly, amicably. So, and just so the listeners know, I'm just going to put it out there. There was no drama, nothing bad happened. Uh, no falling out. <laughs> and so it, it wasn't like a crumbling of horror palace. If anybody remembers those days, <laughs> I'm just yes. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dave's like, I do. Oh, I, I remember them. Well, yes. After, after a, a whole four episodes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't anything like that. And, and in fact, um, as everybody could tell, Wolfman, Josh, Dr. Shock and Gilman, Joel, they're going to continue horror movie podcast. Keep it going strong. So don't worry about that. HMP is not going anywhere. And if people are crossover listeners of movie podcast weekly, those jokers over there, uh, Andy, Ryan, Carl, and William Rowan Jr. They say they're going to keep that show going and they've actually already released an episode. So maybe they're serious. So that's, that's good news as well. And I just had a few things to say real quick about all this. I know it's kind of sudden for everybody, including my co-host. But but basically, the first thing I want to tell you is I'm I'm very proud of horror movie podcasts. Hands down, it's been my um my personal best and most successful podcast I've ever been a part of. I mean, it was a real privilege, and I'm grateful. I'm thankful to the listeners, and I'm thankful to the co-hosts here. You guys made it great for me. So that's been wonderful. And um, I, I don't know how to express my gratitude sufficiently. Some people have been emailing me and I've been writing and trying to tell people that individually. And so I just want to say it publicly as well. So the next question might be, so why are you stopping with podcasting? Well, it wasn't an overnight decision. I've actually been wrestling with it for about two years, literally. And and basically, um, after doing it for nine years, and I, I did the math, I, I, I usually spent each week for the past nine years, I usually spent between seven hours and 25 hours <laughs> um, doing podcasts, which is really fun. But um, over that, that amount of time, with all the various shows I've been a part of and the shows that I've um, produced for our side podcasting business. I've estimated I'm up around like 1,500 podcast episodes, something like that. <laughs> I loved it. I, I don't regret it and I'm not complaining. I'm really proud of that. But after nine years of investing that much time, I've just decided that I need to invest more of my time elsewhere. And so for instance, I just feel, I feel so like such a weirdo, like all these personal notes, but I just want to put it out there so people know why I made this decision. 
first of all, I'm, I'm focusing more on my health and fitness. And I know nobody cares about this, but like, <laughs> I was like increasingly gaining weight. I was about 60 pounds over what I should be. And so, um, and since New Year's, I've been working on that, like nutrition and fitness, weightlifting, blah, blah, blah. And so far, um, I've lost 33 pounds, guys. So I'm halfway there to my goal. <laughs> now, congratulations. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Thank you. And then um, part of getting fit is um, I've always been a big fan of the martial arts. It's always had a, a major role in my life, at least on and off. And one of my bucket list goals was to earn my black belt. And so I'm, I'm going to spend some of this time focusing on jujitsu and achieving that goal. I want to, you know, build my body, so to speak, and get my black belt finally. So that would be great. Probably. Now, what level can you safely hang from the outside of a parking? Lot? I was wondering <laughs> the same that. thing. I, I guess it. I guess that's got to be black belt. Yeah, I mean, only it obviously, brown, you would think. It obviously <laughs> isn't under black belt. Yes, only idiots do that, and that's me. <laughs> well, and I was going to ask, are you doing this specifically so whenever anyone talks smack about the village, you can open a, right. a really big can of whoop-ass on them? Is that the, is that the that's goal? That's the reason. <laughs> okay. That could, that could be it. Yeah, hanging mm. from a garage is just a perk. Okay. <laughs> I will say one of my biggest regrets is that we're never going to do our podcast in defense of the village. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I know. Well, never say never, right? I mean, right. maybe I hope one of these days that would be really fun. Yeah. And then I'm serious because yeah. that is my all time favorite film. Everybody. I, I love it. I love it. But so, yeah. And most importantly, I think on this list is I wanted to focus more on my kids. They're getting to the age where I feel like I need to give them a little more time and attention. Oddly enough, you know, like it used to be they go to bed at nine and that was that. And then I would just podcast. But now. Uh, they need a little more of my attention. And then this uh, this sounds selfish, and, and it probably is, but like one of the reasons I get into film criticism and movie podcasting is because I love movies so much, and I wanted to watch more movies. I thought, well, if I'm a film critic, I'll get to watch movies all the time. But the truth is, since I began podcasting, I've actually watched fewer movies than I used to watch before podcasting. How is that possible? <laughs> I know, right? Well, well, because you don't do your homework for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's true. It is like there's there's the homework aspect. So and and that's <laughs> which that's makes kind of, it not can, fun. Right. That takes a little bit away. Like like for example, I've wanted to watch Game of Thrones for years now. And and I've never had time. And and then, you know, because I'm either well, recording or editing, and that's fine. Or I'm watching something that I want to watch, but I feel guilt because I should be watching homework or I should be editing one of the movie podcast weekly episodes, right? So so it, it got to be this thing where I just felt like, wow, I'm not getting any movie time, really. So so those are the four main reasons, just, you know, health, fitness, jujitsu, kids, and watch more movies. Those are the reasons, but I just have a few important notes uh, for the listeners that, that pertains to you guys here. I, I wanted to put this out there just so everybody knew how I felt about this. There's an important scene toward the end of The Godfather, the first Godfather movie. So mild spoilers for The Godfather coming up right now. <laughs> um, at the end of that film, well, basically it's about Don Vito Corleone's reign as the head of his his crime family and the passing of that torch to his son, Michael, Michael becomes the new Don by the end of the film. 
And so there's this backroom meeting where the Don's explaining that, that Michael's going to be taking over the family. But two of the capos there, Clemenza and Tessio, they're actually interested in forming their own families. And the Don, he says something to them that's kind of always stuck with me. He, he asks him, he says, do you have faith in my judgment? Uh, do I have your loyalty? And they say yes. And he says, then be a friend to Michael. And then Michael says, there are negotiations being made that are going to answer all your questions and solve all your problems. So I'm referencing this, uh, this Godfather quote on a horror podcast because I just want to say one thing. And that is that this, this is a great horror podcast. It's going to continue to be great. And I think even better, um, you know that Josh and Dave are pillars here. I couldn't be happier that Joel is stepping in. If I could have picked somebody like hand selected, it would have been Joel. No kidding. And and I'm, I'm sure people have already gathered this about you, Joel, but his horror roots run deep. And I'd even argue confidently that that Joel knows more about the horror genre than I do. And his horror cred is legitimate. And so I'm happy to pass the torch to him because he's a much more deserving carrier of that torch. So, so I say to the listeners out there, be a friend to Gilman Joel. These guys have great episodes planned. They're going to answer all your questions and solve all your problems. <laughs> wow. No pressure. <laughs> I'm serious. But yeah, I, I, I'm serious. I have confidence in you guys. I have confidence in the horror movie podcast continuing to be great. Now movie cup podcast weekly. Hmm. Not so much, but HMP is going to be fine. So don't worry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love those guys too. Well, Jay, I, w I just want to pipe in real quick and say that, uh, and I, I know I've said this to all three of you, obviously off mic, uh, but when, you know, it was first broached, the idea was broached to me, oh, hey, you know, could you step in? Jay is thinking about sailing on into the sunset, you know, indefinitely and that kind of thing. I did say that obviously I'm very interested. I love this podcast. I have been a listener. I'm pretty sure since episode one, because I listened to your previous incarnations of horror podcasts. So I'm, I'm fairly certain I jumped in right with episode one on this one. And as a longtime listener, as a person who believes you are a truly great podcaster and you are a great friend, I was unwilling to do it if you weren't okay with it. And, and when, uh -huh. and when, you know, Josh and Dave, you brought up the idea. I was like, I'm honored, but I want to, and, and we all agreed. And you said you were so, cause I'm not, I, I'm not saying this is just to blow smoke. If you had said no, no, <laughs> I would have been like, okay, well it was, you know, cool idea. <laughs> and I would, and I would no bad feelings, no, no ill will, but out of respect for you and the show and the listeners. And Willis Wheeler would be having this conversation with Jay and right that now. is the truth. And that is the truth, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I appreciate, you know, your, your kind words. You've always been a truly kind person. I mean, honestly, I've met Jay in person for those listening. I'm, I know several of you have as well at the uh, movie podcast uh, network meetup that we did a couple years back. And Jay is legitimately one of the nicest guys that I've ever met. I mean, he's a sweet, sweet man. And I really appreciate the kind words. I, I feel like you are, you have more than earned your horror bona fides. I think in, in truth be told, I may have been, you know, getting fangorious in seventh grade and, and watched really wildly inappropriate movies way, 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 way too young. But, um, I feel like when it comes to things like extreme horror, you are much, much more, uh, of a, uh, uh, stallion 
than I'll ever be. <laughs> that I was going to say style, and I figured that's more complimentary than the truth. Uh, but, right. <laughs> um, and I will say, I truly, truly appreciate uh, you uh, you using the analogy of this being like a crime family. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I feel like that for some reason seems apropos I've always looked at at podcasting as my criminal career as well and so so yeah the crime family thing really fits it's a criminal career of sorts (laughs) and and to that point you know I don't want to send mixed messages but I do want to communicate this I still love podcasting I mean I'm not swearing it off altogether I mean I'm not going to do these full time I call them full time but I've talked to these guys, if they'll permit me, you know, I'd be interested in uh, being emeritus co-host guest on HMP's top 10, maybe, or when, if you guys ever get around to covering the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, my all-time favorite horror film, I'd love to be a guest on that episode, of course. So just putting it out there. Jay, can I test your commitment to that? Y- yeah. We- if we say yes. And we say mm-hmm. the only catch to that Texas Chainsaw one is that you have to be here for the franchise review when we do part four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, well, how I would. It would be worth it to me. Well, you're going to need somebody to step in for me. <laughs> Dave is actually, he's already, he's already sick that episode, he told me. Right. Well, yeah. Now that this is like my decision or anything, but as far as I'm concerned, just as with Kyle... And just as the treatment you gave me on Movie Podcast Weekly when I had to leave that show, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, you will always have emeritus status on the show and you're welcome back anytime you ever want to talk about a movie, uh, you know, the, you're, the door's open. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you know. them. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I've I, I'm just to say it, um, obviously, Jay, you and I have known each other for a while. You are one of the two people in the podcasting community that I knew before I became a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had reached out and contacted me after I had listened to uh, Considering the Sequels. <laughs> and, um, you know, we become very good friends. I think you were the first to subscribe uh, to the uh, feed on the blog to get uh, emails um, oh. each time I post a new review. Um, and just talking with you all these years, and every time you asked me to be part of a podcast, it was a running joke because all the they always go under or they wouldn't last, but <laughs> I would always say yes, because it was always a pleasure to record with you. And I definitely look forward to doing it again uh, in the future uh, and meeting you as well. That was, I know you had, you had said, oh, it'll happen. Now, you were saying that years ago. Mm-hmm. We're going to meet sometime. And I never knew if we actually would, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the meetup was, was awesome and, and you were great. You know, I couldn't have asked for anything better. It was just a, a wonderful experience. So... You know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely hope we will record again in the future. And, and you know, Josh had thrown it out there, maybe at some point to do another of the Best Picture podcasts. Nice. Uh, and I mm-hmm. would like to to do that with you as well. Um, so, yeah, don't, anytime, as far as I'm concerned, too, anytime you want to come back, uh, it would be it would be an honor and a privilege to, uh, you know, to record with you again. So, uh I have to follow up with a couple other things too. Like, uh, for example, the uh, Scarecrow movie challenge. What becomes of that? Well, I say, sorry, Jody, but screw that. There are a couple movies that I do plan to watch, but I'm I'm done for now doing terrible homework. I know I committed to it, and that is very dishonorable. But I'm sorry. <laughs> now the truth comes out. Why Jay's really leaving? 
That's why so, I'm leaving, so I can avoid that challenge. No, <laughs> no but I am going to still pay up when it comes to that Jay of the Dead pig-headed horror photo that I owe my buddy down in, from down under. Um, I actually have a plan for this, a genuine plan, and in part, it's inspired by the incredible talents of the prophetess <laughs> projectile varmint. And so just give me a little time oh, on that. The, the picture, yeah, which, yeah. Was, which was really great. <laughs> I know I'm gonna I'm gonna need a couple of months, but uh, give me some time, and then um, oh boy, I I remember now I'm now I'm picturing <laughs> now I'm thinking of the picture, and I don't even know if I want to get this, know where you're gonna go with this. And then it's a little surprise for everybody, and then uh, I, I guess the last important note that I wanted to pass along, I mean I'm still uh, a movie nut, you know, like I'm I'm still gonna be watching movies, and and to be honest with you guys, like. You know, I, I made this decision on, it was like January 22nd, but like, I mean, it, it's, it has hurt in some ways. It's been like bittersweet and I've been itching and, and, you know, this is still my decision to not podcast. However, I wanted to keep my finger, you know, in the, in the movie realm and I do love film criticism. So I'm going to continue with my, um, considering the sequels brand as a film critic, like I have a, a, a little film blog and basically, I write a monthly blog for my newspaper at work that's about movies. So I post those on there, like consideringthecinema.com. And so you can you can follow that. And, and from time to time, what I decided, so I don't have... Because on one hand, I got to keep up my podcasting skills because it is my side business that I do with my wife. And so I have a little hobby. And I'm telling you, it's very low key. So I'm not trying to send mixed messages. But I have a very low key whenever I feel like, you know, that that considering the cinema podcast thing I was doing, it's a little solo cast. It, it's it's not spectacular or anything, but I just, you know, I'll do that from time to time. Maybe one episode a month, maybe one every two months or who knows, maybe none ever again. <laughs> but but I do. I would like to dabble in that. Is it actually out to where there's an episode out there that somebody could subscribe to it and thus be notified when you'll have new ones out? Yes. By the time people hear this, that that will okay. all be in order. Okay. It's like ninety eight percent done. And um, and and yeah, over the past because I've had like a month now that I've been watching movies and just having a good time. I, I've leisurely recorded a solo cast. It's episode four of that. Um. So thanks for asking. Like I said, I don't want it to be mixed signals. I don't want people to think that I'm still podcasting because that puppy won't really produce much fruit. But just from time to time, it's Consider Cinema on Twitter. I'm on Letterboxd. And of course, you can email me at consideringthecinema at gmail.com. So I'll send these guys those links in case you want to know how to catch up with me and whatever. So um, as for one, I will tell you, I will be subscribing because I, I know it's going to sound weirder than I mean it. Uh, but I will miss hearing your voice. Well, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, Joel. And then finally, guys, the last thing I wanted to tell people, if I may, is my three favorite memories that involve each of you on this podcast. Okay, so um, number one, my, my favorite memory on Horror Movie Podcast with Dave in terms of like podcasting was the time we did that Cutting Heads episode, Dave where we just traded back and forth on oh, many yeah. reviews. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like I had an absolute blast on that with you. That was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was that was early too. You mean the first one we did? I know we've done a couple, but the very first yeah. one. Yeah, that first one. Yeah. No, so that was great. great. I agree. And, I had a great time too. And then Josh, I have tried to think of the title of the film all day long and find it, but it's hard to research. But I hope you'll know the one I'm talking about. My favorite and most fun memory on this podcast with you, Josh is when we reviewed that one weird, I think it was a Spanish film, and and this person was traveling abroad, and it was almost like a, a diet, light, uh, um, werewolf movie. She was like a creature. Uh, is it Spring? Is that is that what it was called? Oh, yeah. Sure. From the guys spring. who did The Endless. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. And she's, yeah, it's a very Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. They go to Pompeii during the course of the film. Yeah, that's so interesting because I was going to describe it to you guys to try to help. I'm like, the cover looks a lot like the cover of the Endless color scheme wise. And that's really funny. But yeah, it's spring from 2014. Um, and and yeah, when you and I reviewed that, Josh, I'm like, wow. You know, I was really feeling like I was achieving what I wanted to achieve in podcasting, which was like genuine film criticism. I, I just felt really good about that. Maybe nobody else liked it, but I loved that. And that's like cool. my favorite memory with you. And then and then Gilman Joel. And no joke, I just thought of this the other day, actually. Um, w- when you were schooling us on uh, the Stephen King episode, that I mean, that was so fun. And, and hearing about the, you know, the things <laughs> that you'd watched over the years, especially that that a lot of them I hadn't watched, actually, but you'd seen so many of them. And that was my favorite memory on here with you, Joel. So. so you mean by schooling, you mean proving that throughout high school, I really had no social life whatsoever. Okay. As long as we're yeah. clear on that. Okay. And then, and so basically what Jay is saying, Joel, is his favorite memory with you is the sole episode you were on. Yes. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was his only one. No, 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 no. <laughs> there were others. They were others. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I know, but that is funny. <laughs> right. Right. You were that one time so. you were on, Joel? I love that time. That yeah, was that awesome. Was time. That one time you were on. It was amazing. You know, I think Jay and I developed the shtick on Movie Podcast Weekly where we had kind of this contentious relationship. And I, I think it did flow into our real relationship a little <laughs> bit. But but for the most part, and especially on Horror Movie Podcast, it was just for fun in my in my opinion Mm -hmm. and and i know that it probably didn't always feel fun uh when you know when we you know because i think we were two passionate people who had this thing that we both really cared about and it and it has been this intense collaborative relationship which don't always end cheerily you know but (laughs) i I mean that's just the truth collaboration is difficult you know and um but the truth of the matter is, is that although I rarely agree with your opinions about movies, I always have had an immense amount of respect for your mind. I know that sounds even weirder than Joel saying he misses hearing your voice. But for me, like, I love having these conversations with you because I love the way your, your mind works. And it's, and it's very different from mine. And you open me up to thoughts about film that I never would have had before. And so I like for me doing the podcast has always been an experience that I get a lot out of. Like I, I, I have a lot of extremely 
um, and for me, the cerebral part is very connected to my emotional part, but I've had some really intense emotional experiences, just kind of having these little discoveries along the way, as we've talked about the cinema. And, uh, you know, for me, that is, um, I don't know that experience has been part of why I, I love movies so much, you know, and I've always maintained this from the very beginning. I think you were one of the great podcast hosts and maybe that doesn't mean a lot to people, but for someone like myself who listens to a lot of podcasts and used to listen to hundreds more than I, than I have time for now, you're one of the best to ever play the game. So I think you're better than David Chen. I think you're better than Sean at film junk. I think you're better than the film spotting guys. You're on that level. And I think you exceed that level in my opinion. And unfortunately, Joel is the only one who's better than you. And so thanks for that, Josh. I was, I was about to follow all of that up with saying there's zero way I or anybody else could fill his shoes. And the fact of the matter is, is that I have uh, really no interest. I mean, to me, Jay, you love to say on movie podcast weekly, what, what, what is it? We've got uh, an actor, a film critic, a geek, and a guy named Andy, right? Obviously right. your film critic, Dave, film reviewer critic uh josh filmmaker i consider myself film fan right i'm a i'm a lover of horror movies and i'm a film fan so mm-hmm. i don't purport to be any of those and so to me and, and as i told these guys i'm just coming in as a third wheel to hopefully help keep things somewhat lively uh you know i will try to not take it to the uh, level of retro movie geek because i don't want us to lose listeners uh but i i, I do feel like there's nobody that could replace you so I have no intention of that. Like, that's not why I'm here. I'm here just as a film fan, hopefully representative. And honestly, in a weird way, which, you know, is fitting for me, a weird way, I am representative, I hope, of, you know, the listener. Because I've listened to your show. I've always been a listener. I mean, yours mm-hmm. is one of the few shows that I listen to with regularity these days because I just don't have as much time to listen to shows. Now, it takes me sometimes a week and a half to get through one. No offense. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I do. You know, I that you know, it's one of the ones I always made sure in Movie Podcast Weekly for that matter. So it's an honor and a privilege to even get to be uh, in the same booth with the chair upon which you had been sitting that you have got since gotten up off of. So I'm just happy to be in the booth with you guys that's where the honor is. Well, wow. and, and and let me just mention that I, you know, I had said that that Jay was one of the two podcasters I knew before I would, myself was podcasting. Uh, Joel, you are actually the other. Um, I had uh, contacted uh, Forgotten Flicks. Uh, I had, it was a voicemail back in I don't know September of 2010. I mean, I know yes, that Forgotten I remember Flicks. That. Yeah, and it was about the uh, the Roger Corman releases of uh, Death Race 2000 that I had picked up on Blu-ray, and uh, it just sort of uh, blossomed from there. Uh, our friendship. Yes. Um. So uh, you know, you and Jay are the, probably the two I've known the longest, and I would like to just throw it out there that that you know Joel as a host, him and Jay are different, but there's still going to be that that level i mean i think people have heard it already in the episodes we've recorded that um the level is going to still be there that it's still going to hmp is in great hands mm-hmm. i think um you know and i'm uh, i'm looking forward to the future because we have some great ideas uh, in store and i think the listeners are going to be happy yeah i mean and we were hit very hard with this news. Uh, just uh, any listener who's listening right now who feels like 
their world is crumbling. Like, don't worry. Like Dave and I were there as well. Like we were like, what, what are we going to do? Like how, you know, kind of in panic, but as Dave said, like, this is our third episode now since Jay has kind of stepped down and it's, it's working, you know? And I think I had this real desire to have it be like the two Darren's on bewitched to have it just kind of switch over because I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to let anyone down and we, we didn't have a ton of information about what was happening or why it was happening. And as I've ruminated on it more, I just feel like I agree with Joel. There's not, there is no replacing Jay, but I, but I also think if this is just a new thing, like this is, and I think Joel is going to add, a, you know, a freshness to the show that maybe we haven't had in a while. It's easy for us to all fall into routines and mm. and, and it will be nice to shake things up a little bit Joel has a very different uh, perspective on film than Jay does and a different taste in movies and I think it will add a lot of freshness to a show that was you know 165 episodes in when we made that decision so I also am hopeful and I have a huge amount of trust in Joel I think he's an incredible host and the experiences that we've had on universal monsters cast of some of the best podcasting experiences I've had. Mm. So I, I have, I have a lot of faith in him and yeah, I just think these are two great guys. And so let's not spend time necessarily comparing and contrasting them. <laughs> uh, let's, let's appreciate what both Jay and Joel have brought to the table. And I think Joel has a lot to bring, um, you know, and it won't be exactly what Jay brought to the table, but it will be a value. You're here. Yep. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and thank you all for allowing this time. I, I apologize it took so long for me to get all this off my chest, but I felt like the listeners um, deserved an explanation. I wanted to express a few things. So I, I thank you guys, the hosts. And um, I, I guess the final thing I just want to say, from me at least, is um, uh, this is Jay of the Dead signing off from Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. So thank you so much to Jay for joining us here on the show and sharing that with us for his years of service to the show. And, you know, I, I know he meant a lot to a lot of listeners and, and he meant a lot to us too. And yeah. for anyone who's going through a crisis right now, first of all, let us say we tried everything. Like if it didn't sound like we were arguing with him enough to stay, believe us, like we, we tried everything we could think of to get him to stay. It's yeah. not, it's just not what he wanted right now. So um, know that, the door is always open if he should ever want to come back and also know that he's quit several horror podcasts and come back pretty quickly afterward in the past. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now we have a, a new host and you know, Joel has been filling in for Jay of the dead for the last few episodes. And, and that's another thing to take heart in. You've now listened to three episodes without Jay. And of course you noticed, you know, the absence of his, of his voice and his, and his point of view, but, it's gone pretty well, hasn't it? We've had three pretty good episodes here. So um, I, hopefully if you've stuck with us this long, uh, you can see that the future is bright for HMP. And we're really glad to have Joel on board. And, you know, back in episode one, Jay, Kyle, Dr. Walking Dead, and myself gave our top 10 lists for our favorite horror movies of all time. Well, Dr. Walking Dead lasted all of one episode before he had to go on his hiatus. And so very quickly, we were faced with a similar situation that we're faced with today, 
which is bringing in a new host. And we brought in Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside of Philadelphia, PA, <laughs> on episode two of the of the show. I had to say that, Dave, because my kids say that all the time. If I ever say Dave or Dr. Shock, That's awesome. they'll, they'll say, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. So uh, in episode two of Horror Movie Podcast, our Haunted Houses episode, we also took some time to do Dave's top 10 horror movies list. And so in that tradition, you know, the mantle has officially been passed. The torch has officially been passed to joel here and we thought wouldn't it be fun for joel to share his top 10 horror movies just to give listeners a sense of your horror sensibilities i think that is a fantastic idea and uh, i don't know about you guys but i'm ready to get started joel's gonna dazzle us and we're going to prosecute his decisions here. of course <laughs> well and, and i want to say up front so i'll try to keep it somewhat pithy on the front end about my uh, my introduction to horror because I will tell everyone, I think anybody out there listening would understand how I felt when given this particular task and how Herculean the effort was to try to whittle down one's favorite horror movies right. to a top 10 list. It is ridiculous. Right. It is almost, it borders on the futile and the pointless. And I will say <laughs> that as of an hour before this recording, I was still shifting ones around. And I will also add that if uh, I can uh, uh, present this to the judge and uh, or the magistrate, because I guess, you know, there's two of you. So uh, the, uh, if I could present this, <laughs> that maybe after we hit my top 10, if we have time high level very quickly, I could give a, a sort of a honorable mention to 11 through 20, knowing that the vast majority of those at any given day could switch roles with any of my current top 10. Save Absolutely. a couple of them, probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Honestly, if I were to do this now, it would I would be having a very difficult time doing. It. I think I was just naive enough back on episode one that you know I was kind of thinking, okay, well, I'm going to balance my favorite films with the classics, you know that are you know that are the highest quality, and I'll just you know bust this out really quick. I did spend a little bit of time on it, but I I would labor over it now, and I just looking over my top ten list. But we posted what you get and find all of our top 10 lists on the sidebar at hormonepodcast.com. I just think, man, would that be, I don't know if this would make my list now because <laughs> I have moved further away from honoring the cinema as we did in our previous episode to just, you know what, life's short. I'm going to just stick with my guilty pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, so, there should be nothing guilty I, about them. I, I have become older. I get the more I'm a fan of saying guilty pleasure as a phrase should be jettisoned from the, the vernacular it, it is it is not a true thing you have nothing to be guilty of if something brings you pleasure and it's not hurting anyone else you have a right to it i'm just sorry for getting on my soapbox i apologize no that's fine and i think anyone who's a horror fan knows the horror of like being at a dinner party and someone says oh you like movies we like movies too what's your favorite movie I'm like really my favorite movie like i know some people have that ready to go but for me it's like i can give you a top 20 if you give me the genre and subgenre. but yes. I, like coming up with my top 10 like you said joel it's a herculean test so having said all that <laughs> thrill me are you seriously going to start with that because uh, th that that's really funny that you start with that I have to say my number 10, and I'm not joking, is Night of the Creeps from 1986. Wonderful. 
that is legit. And, and honestly, people are going to be like, oh, of course it is because you guys set that up. No, he didn't know that number 10. <laughs> because and I know what you want to know. I didn't know because literally uh, an hour and a half ago, it was closer to like six, seven range. <laughs> so <laughs> the night of the fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. Zombies. Exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the creeps. If you scream, you're dead. I love Night of the Creeps. I, I love it. Um, I saw it probably maybe two years or so after it came out. So it's been the late 80s, 88, 89, because it came out in 86. And I saw it at a friend's house. And this is the friend who will come up several times throughout this podcast as the one who, even though my dad was extremely uh, liberal with his rental card and what I could rent uh, as a young lad, mainly because my parents were divorced. And I think it was his passive aggressive way of getting back at my mom who didn't want to let me see anything over like a PG. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I did see many movies that even my dad might've been like, eh. like, you know, when you're 12 and your friend pops in life force, let's just say, I'm just going to throw <laughs> it out there that most, most parents might be like, I'm thinking that might not be for you, kid. So, uh, but Night of the Creeps, I remember seeing at this friend's house and it, at the, as a kid, it scared me. Like, I didn't get the humor for some reason. I didn't think, I didn't see the funny. I just, there was something about, especially the way it opens. Uh, and now for anybody that's not familiar, which I'm going to just make the assumption that most of these, the uh, listeners have heard of, but I, I will really quickly read the MDBA, uh, that's IMDB, synopsis. It is alien brain parasites entering humans through the mouth, turn their host into a killing zombie. Some teenagers start to fight against them. I'm not kidding. That's actually <laughs> the IMDb <laughs> synopsis in all its glory. That's so funny. Written and directed by Fred Decker. And here's the other thing. And this movie did not make my top 10. And I feel like I have to add this qualifier. I didn't include this other Fred Decker movie. I bet you can't even begin to imagine, guys, which one I'm referring to. It's, of course, RoboCop 3. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> I, I, I wanted to include Monster Squad. Okay. Monster Squad is probably my top 10 of all time for me personally. And I get it's total nostalgia. I get it. But for me, and I, I know it's going to be heresy, but maybe not on a horror movie podcast, which makes me feel good. Uh, I, think, I think Monster Squad is superior to Goonies. So I get static. I get static for that. But I feel like the kids at Goonies do nothing but scream and yell the whole time. And it's just like this really loud emoting that they do. Okay. You don't need to tear others down to build yourself up. (laughs) I'm not going to stand here and hear you tear apart one of the greatest child adventure films of all time. I like Goonies. I love Monster Squad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. You love Monster Squad. I like the Goonies. I'm just saying for me, if given my druthers. 
I would much rather watch the Monster Squad. But I don't feel like it's it's a monster movie, and the horror in it is treated, you know, legit. It's definitely not. It's played straight, but. There's a, I kind of feel like it's uh, it so rides the line of being like a fantasy adventure film that sure. you know what I mean that it's like I was like well this is my top 10 horror movies I don't really now somebody might say well Night of the Creeps is obviously very tongue-in-cheek it's got a comedic element to it it's very meta you know but I I still feel like though it's still brutal enough and it gets you know down and dirty enough and honestly especially for somebody you know if you're a kid and, and or maybe you're somebody who doesn't watch a lot of horror movies i imagine it would scare you so um i don't find it scary now but i i love the practical effects in it let's just say that there were certain moments in this movie uh involving an axe and other characters that as, as a kid i had never seen it quite like that before because I, you know as a as a kid i was a pretty sensitive kid i think i've told both josh and dave this story i don't know that i've ever told it on even retro movie geek but i went to a summer party with a couple of good friends of mine whose mom was like this uh sort of a uh, former hippie uh, and that of course almost makes it sound like she wasn't anymore because i think in her own mind she kind of still was so she was very open right. to whatever we wanted to do so we're th- 13 years old and we decide hey why don't we do a double feature we'll rent sleepaway camp and pieces oh, and oh. <laughs> oh, so man. i i remember going to bed watching sleepaway camp and and being like I'm, I was just like what what has happening and then she came she came then the mother thought this is a good idea around two in the morning after the kids have finally fallen asleep we're sleeping in the living room come out and uh, my two best friends at the time there were twins and she came out and grabbed one of them while she while dressed as a vampire and dragged him out like out the front door. Like it was like she's so committed to it. It wasn't like she like I go tickle thing. Wake you up. No, like grabbed him growling and dragged him out of the house. Wow. And me and my friend are just my the, the, the lone brother that had survived. We're just sitting there staring at each other like what the hell just happened? Like we did. <laughs> and so she she finally came back in and, and, and it finally felt like it was all just a bad dream. Cut to the next morning as we're eating our uh, Fruit Loops or Captain Crunch or whatever it was. We watch pieces and wow. needless to say, now, you, you know, you could make the argument that, you know, movies, oh, they, they traumatize kids and, and they, they turn them into deviants uh, quite the opposite. Actually, uh, it, it traumatized me, but it, it did the exact opposite. I was like such a sensitive kid that it just, it mortified me for, for quite a long time. And I don't know if there's other horror fans that feel this way, but if you were a really sensitive kid, I think you almost embrace horror as a way to protect yourself I, it's hard to explain it's like uh i think my parents had sure. been divorced you know we had family problems i was bullied really bad in seventh grade which had been about the time that i did that wonderful double feature at the friend's house and i i was i was having a lot of you know emotional things going on and i and i know that by that summer by the summer of 89 i went to live with my dad and it's almost like i got my first issue of fangoria during seventh grade and it's like all bets were off i started going to the video store regularly i'm just mainlining horror movies at that point yeah yeah. And I, I think there's something about when you're very scared uh, as you know, it's there's a weird comfort that you get in watching this sort of controlled fear and chaos and knowing in the end, it you know, even if the 
storyline itself doesn't necessarily turn out happy. You know, you can always have the comfort of it was a movie. And of course, you know, reading, I was obsessed with Thangoria and I would, you know, I've loved the behind the scenes stuff. So I, you know, obsessed with practical effects and how it was all done. So I think there was just something that gave me comfort in that and almost a level of control maybe. And I mean, I took it to the extreme though, where uh, using a lot of my Thangorias that I now feel bad about because I wouldn't do this to those magazines if I had them now. Um, but I literally created entire, I had an entire uh, wall in my room that was a mirror because because the guy who had owned the house before us was the swinging bachelor. That's a whole other story. And, <laughs> and so the entire wall was a mirror and I covered almost the entire thing in a collage of just gore and horror shots from Fangoria. Like that's all it was to the point where I believe my grandmother's exact words were, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a serial killer when he grows up. <laughs> Speaking to the comedy of night of the creeps. Um, I, there's something about the way they handled comedy in the eighties. When you have like these really gory schlocky films, a lot of them had comedic elements, but for some reason as a kid, it just creeped me out even more. There was like an uncanny nature to it. And the idea that someone is winking and grinning at the camera during the most horrific violence I'd ever seen. It actually had almost the opposite effect. Like now I watch another creep. So I'm like, Oh, they're just filled with jokes as a kid. Mm-hmm. And also another film that fred decker was involved with house and house Two, right oh yes love house were so weirdly uncanny and creepy to me as a kid yes yeah and 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 especially as with house and we covered that i think on forgotten flicks this was years ago right it's a very well lit um it almost is like filmed like a like a comedy like it's got that sort of well lit almost flat sort of look to it and in a weird way when you then have some of the horrific elements that do happen, and that movie's a lot lighter, in my opinion, than, say, even Night of the Creeps, um, it creates that weird uncanniness that you're referring to, I think. And with Night of the Creeps, you know, there's just some moments between, and I don't think I'm giving anything away to say that you've got this subplot, it happens very early in the movie, where there is a, it's sort of the classic urban legend, right? The axe murderer on the loose, the the escape mental patient, Mm -hmm. and he's an axe murderer. and, And so you have that element, and mixed in with the alien infestation and how one deals with it and how one deals when someone is sort of possessed by the alien, all of those elements work in concert to just, and they're all played straight. And that's the other thing is like, you know, you brought up the thrill me comment by Tom Atkins, one of my favorite character actors in horror or any genre. And, and he, he plays it straight. I mean, he, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, it's a lot of melodrama and he's got this whole sordid backstory, but he plays it straight. And I always felt like, yes, it's tongue in cheek. Yes, I can see all all the jokes now, like you said, but it it still works on some level for me. I don't mm-hmm. a lot of the movies on my list at this point. I don't it's hard to say this because I feel weird saying it as a horror fan. I'm not really scared by them anymore. Like they don't right. freak me out. You know what I mean? It's not right. like that. It's it's, is it, is it really bizarre to refer to them almost like as comfort food? <laughs> like they're just, not I, I just, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, okay. I feel very similarly to the films that would be on my list as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So yeah. None of the creeps. I think it is kind of a kitchen sink type of film to some degree. It's riffing on kind of like 50s sci-fi, but then as you said, with a, with a zombie element and an ax murder element. And uh, it's, you know, for people who haven't seen it, if you've seen slither, a more recent film, Night of the Creeps is like the 80s version of Slither. Like, take all of the cheesiness and schlock you'd expect in an 80s horror film 
And, uh, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I think they, those two films have the same references, I think is one reason that they're very similar, but I have to think that James Gunn was probably a big fan of night of the creeps specifically as well. If he wasn't, I would be very surprised considering right. they both involve slugs and <laughs> that are of <laughs> alien origin that infest people. And yeah, there's a lot of similarities, but I am definitely of the opinion that I go with the phrase homage over ripoff. Sure. So, because uh, I mean, heck, Night of the Creeps in and of itself, you know, is one big homage to, to movies of that era. So I've heard some disparaging comments about Slither, uh, of which I am a fan. And I think that uh, those comments tend to be like, oh, it's just ripping off Night of the Creeps. It's like, well, Night of the Creeps was kind of doing the same thing for you know, with, yeah. with other movies. So They're also uh, doing both doing something very unique in their own way, I think, as well. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I think one thing the, the listeners will hopefully uh, give, give me wide berth for and I, I know it's something i believe you're a fan of as well i do like horror comedy now that being said notice I, they and they have night of the creeps listed as comedy horror i would argue it's horror comedy maybe even horror sci-fi comedy because while there is humor in it and, and the humor comes out of the characters it's not like a saturday the 14th or a movie like that where obviously they're just doing a goofy comedy and it's got some kind of horror trappings to it so uh but i right. am definitely a fan of a horror comedy Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely something you'll be adding to the show that the previous person occupying your seat was not <laughs> a fan of. So that'll be interesting for sure. One last thing really quick about night of the creeps. Uh, I, I am one degree of Kevin Bacon away from Jason lively star of night of the creeps. So if you, we do end up doing a Sundance get together this next year, if yes. we can time it well, we'll get together with Jason Lively and record something. That would be a lot of fun. That would be amazing. And I will try not to geek out too much. And it's funny because obviously then the other obvious reference to him would of course be rusty from European vacation. Right. Uh, uh, but uh, for me, it will, it will forever uh, be, be night of the creeps. Cause uh, I just, I love the movie. And it's funny at first it was when I was making my, my initial list, I didn't put it on there and, and it's, you and Dave both said some very important things to me about you made the comment that as you did at the top of this segment, that if you had it to do over again, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't just yeah. do the classics that because I think there's a lot of these movies. And as I go through the top 10, several of the classics are on there, of course. And in my top 20 overall, most of them are covered. And I think they're givens. You know, I mean, I think we all as horror fans, we love I mean, I would say one of them. It's not my top 10. I know it's heresy, but The Exorcist, I think. For the most part, all horror fans agree, fantastic movie, right? So it's just, it's an obvious one. But then you made that point and Dave gave me the example, I guess Roger Ebert said that for him, it was, you know, pick a movie that is your favorite movie. It's a movie that you would actually be heartbroken to never see again. Right. Like it would actually profoundly bother you to never see that movie again. I was like, okay, that that's a good, that's a good litmus test. So, yeah, I mean, Jay for years has been bugging me about my list saying, you know, why do you have invasion of the body snatchers? 1956. Why do you have Nosferatu on there? You talk about scream all the time. It's clearly one of your favorite movies. Drop those two off the list and put it in. But the thing is, is like invasion of the body snatchers, is like you're talking about comfort food to me. It's one of my favorite film experiences of my life. And I think actually this is going to be heresy, but the shining, although I think it is legitimately one of the best films ever made. I think that might, as I'm looking at my list right now that I have the shining at number five, I think that is the one that may slide off 
if I was to redo this. Nosferatu possibly could as well. I hate saying that because these are some of my favorite movies ever made. Well, yeah, and they're great. They're great films. Like I yeah. think that's your, to your point, right? The Shining is a fantastic movie. I love The Shining. It's probably in, uh, on any given day not in my top twenty, and right. it's like I love it. But there's so many other movies that I would much rather watch. Yeah, I want to honor. Yeah, I honor my truth in the list like this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. that's what it is. I think that's the other thing. Everybody has their own list. So I think that's hopefully that's why people will be kind and realize that this is just my, you know, this is my take on on movies that I love. I totally get they are not for everybody. <laughs> like there's a lot of people that would watch Night of the Creeps and hate it. I, and I get it. I get that people might feel that way. For me, I love it. It is like you said, comfort food. Perfect. Okay, so we'll go ahead and jump right into number nine after that short, succinct number 10. <laughs> uh, it is, for me, drumroll please, The People Under the Stairs what? from 1991. Wow. Yes. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now... Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. But we gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. There must be another way out. Can't get out. No one ever has. Your father's one sick mother, you know that? Actually, your mother's one sick mother, too. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. The People Under the Stairs. Now, mind you, this is the only Craven in my top 10, which is saying something because I have at least one, two, three other Cravens that make out the rest of the top 20. Wow. So, so yeah, but here's why. And originally, this was not the Craven that was in my top 10. I... Saw this with my dad in 91. I was in going into 10th grade. I think that, that I think it came out that fall and it, it, I remember just loving it and I don't know what it was about the movie. Um, I mean, now when I rewatch it, I totally appreciate the social commentary in it. And that's why, of course, one of the great things about Craven's films is there's always this other layer to them. And, and really of all of his movies in a way, this may be even one of the more heavy handed in, in its social commentary, but it works really well. The characters are fantastic. Uh, Brandon Adams uh, as fool is He's a kid actor, but he's great. Um, Everett McGill as man and Wendy Roby as woman. Of course, they at that time, I believe, was or close to that time was when they were on Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, I think they were on hiatus from it to, to make that, yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, A.J. Langer, she plays Alice. This is an early role for Ving Rhames uh, as, as the boyfriend to full sister. Right. Uh, it, if you have never seen The People Under the Stairs, which, again, I assume most of you have, but just, you know. Humor me. <laughs> Two adults and a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children. There, they must fight for their lives. While that is not remotely close to everything that happens in this crazy movie, uh, that actually is pretty good. Like, I like that. I love the, how it ends with they must fight for their lives. And that's what it is. <laughs> I love the contained nature of the movie. And, you know, I my favorite action movie of all time and it's no secret to anyone that's ever listened to Retro Movie Geek because Daryl loves to mock me about this. I don't care. 
It's Die Hard, which is a Christmas movie. Let's just get that done now. Um, and it, I, I don't know what it is about people trapped in a very, you know, contained environment having to fight for their lives to get out. You know, it, it's, it's almost like a weirdly, maybe like an inverse siege narrative, mm-hmm. like where you're, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're trying to get out rather than things trying to get in. You're trying to stop them. And I don't know what it is about that, that I just love. And then of course, you also have, in my opinion, the iconic character of Roach, played by Sean Whalen, yep. uh, who, who is great because he's played somewhat as comic relief. But then when you realize like who he is and what happened to him, it it really is a very sad story. And there's this it's a, a humor to the movie, but it's very, very dark humor. And I mean, when you've got a character walking around and. SM, SM gimp gear <laughs> with a shotgun hunting a little kid yeah. it's you know the movie's <laughs> wacky uh, but <laughs> it, but i love it i i love this movie uh, i had the poster uh, a few years back i went to a local uh, con out of orlando called spooky empire and i had the great honor of meeting uh, brandon adams and sean whalen and they were fantastic they signed uh, cool. the poster and super sweet guys uh and so uh yeah I, I i love this movie very much it is my number nine wow that's really um, interesting i don't i've never heard anyone say that this is in their top 10 ever so i, yeah. I, I love that um yeah. brandon adams had a weird little relationship with when i was a kid because people would always tell me i looked like him because he huh. would do well I, I i at the at the time i was obsessed with moonwalker and i was like a little kid obsessed with like dancing like michael jackson and people would always sure. be like oh you remind me of you know, like this kid in in the bad video reminds me of you you know <laughs> that was always uh-huh. like the thing I yeah and of course people. sandlot he was in which was shot in uh, part of uh, salt lake area yeah, right absolutely yeah absolutely. mighty ducks yeah. was another big movie around that time and i didn't see people under the stairs until it was on television and so yeah. I, had, I had i'm sure had already seen the mighty ducks and sandlot by the time i saw the people under the stairs but moonwalker was a seminal film for me as a kid but also <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you were talking about off the air with Kevin Spacey movies probably hasn't aged as well. <laughs> yes, true. But, uh, but this one, in my opinion, has aged very well. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, I guess it's a fairy tale, like a very dark fairy tale. And, and I think because of that, it does have somewhat of a timeless quality to it. I mean, sure. There's certain things that, that are said and done and, and things like that, that do date it a little bit, but, I just I haven't watched it in a little. It's been a couple of years probably since I've seen it, but I I just really love this movie. Oh, and I forgot Jan Birch. He was the other guy that I met uh, at uh, Spooky Empire. He played the stairmaster. He's the one that sort of uh, looks like if you made Sebastian Bach from Skid Row live under stairs for <laughs> twenty years. That's he's that guy. So uh, yeah, man. I I just I and you know and I I had a feeling. I, it's funny you saying that you've never heard of anybody having other top ten. That is one of the reasons why I put it there. I was like, this is a movie that I would actually, <laughs> to Dave's point, be heartbroken if I could never watch again. If someone said I could never, ever again, you know, hear little fool say, your father's one sick mother. You know that? Actually, your mother's one sick mother, too. And it's just the way he says it. And uh, it's it's a classic. I liked uh, the people under this. It's funny because for a lot of years, I was under the impression I had not seen it. And it was a few years ago when we were uh, for the 31 days of October, I was going to look at Wes Craven movies and I was watching. I said, wait a second, I have seen this. Yeah, I've seen this. And I, it had just been a while and I just had not, I, 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 for some reason I just completely forgot it, but no, I'm a fan of it as well. And it's crazy. You're right. It's like insane. And the scene where 
uh, the woman is giving the girl a bath. It's it's just got a lot of, like you said, sort of very darkly comic moments in it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I saw this on television, probably on like USA Up All Night or uh, maybe even just like Stars or Encore or something like that in the 90s. I probably saw this two or three times in the 90s on TV. Uh, never have revisited it at all. So this would hmm. definitely be one to check out, I guess, now that it, now that it's got your seal of approval. That or after watching it, you'll be like, so note to self, never listen to Joel again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other possibility. But I, I say see it. I say The People Under the Stairs is, in fact, a classic. Awesome. Because, again, out of all of his movies, I don't know why this one has just always stuck with me. And I just, uh, I mean, I even was in uh, Asheville, North Carolina this past uh, Thanksgiving time period. And there's an awesome video store. If you ever get a chance to go up there, it's called Orbit DVD. And D- Dave, you would go nuts, man. The guy is like, wow. a, he loves cult stuff. And like, every time I would walk in there to check stuff out, all I could hear was the guy who owns the place trying to sell everybody there on going to, to watch Mandy because Mandy had just dropped. Oh, wow. and, and, and so like, he's that guy. Okay. Nice. And so... And so they have like just piles of, I mean, they actually still rent movies. So you can actually go and rent movies and they've got it organized by director and genre directors within genres. And wow. you, if you find one you really love, you could technically go up and buy the used copy of it. And so it's, it's, it's really cool how they have the whole thing set up, but they also have like piles of old video of VHS. And I found a rental copy of people under the stairs still has like the be kind rewind sticker on it and everything. <laughs> it was like four bucks. I was like sold. Thank you. And that, yeah, because I don't know. Just That's something about great. that movie. Yep. Number eight on my list. It is the one and only the movie that when I was 13 and my dad took me to see this, I'm noticing a theme here with my dad, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, it, it traumatized me. And I know it traumatized many a person. Probably specifically, uh, there's a character in it named Zelda that traumatized each and every one of us. And that is Pet Cemetery from 1989. What is this place? I brought you here to Barry Allen's cat. Daddy, is Judge all right? Why, Judge? I have Marines. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of. Do something really bad. You got a thing to put them up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Cemetery. Pet Cemetery from 1989. Now, of course, I'm gonna have to really make sure I say 89 after this year because uh, we're, of course, getting the new version, which I'm go- I'm not gonna prejudge. I'm gonna go in open-minded. So, uh, but I am a I love this movie, and this movie is always in my top 20, and I almost didn't put it in my top 10. But then I felt like I love Stephen King's stuff so much, even the movies that are based off his stuff that aren't always so great, and I wanted to have something King-related in my top 10. And when I was telling my wife my my list, and she, of course, is 
had the unfortunate position of listening to me, you know, wax on and on and on about all of these movies over the years. And so, and she loves it too, by the way, but she's like, Pet Cemetery." I was like, yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. I'm not, I am going to put Pet Cemetery in my top 10. And, and look, it has, there's issues. And, uh, and I know it's funny. I've always heard people be very critical of, especially um, Dale Midkiff as uh, Lewis Creed. And I actually never was bothered by him. Like I did, I don't know why. A lot of people had a lot of problems with the performance uh, that I learned later. <laughs> uh, certainly as a kid, because you know, as a kid, you don't have a lot of critical wherewithal to go. Oh, oh the, the way he emotes is not quite affecting me the way. <laughs> but I, I just, even watching it now, I don't feel pulled out of the movie by his or anyone else's performance. And really, though, the the peak of this movie is Fred Gwynn as Judd. And if I have any knock at all because i when i heard they cast lithgow in the remake or i guess really it's not a remake right because it's all from the same source material so the the re-envisioning of it i was like oh that's brilliant john lithgow is brilliant to play judd there's something about because he saw like, there's, there's a similar quality that i feel like fred mm-hmm. Gwynn has and yeah. but then then in the, the trailer i was waiting for it i was waiting to hear that sometimes dead is better and i hear sometimes dead is better and I'm like, what? Where's yeah, the yeah. where's the main axe? What is this? I was so I know that's so petty and stupid. And I'm sorry, no. but uh it's not when you do a Stephen King film, you have to get main correct. That's just you part do. Of, part well, of. And of course, and if you know anything about the uh the making of Pet Cemetery, I believe it was at the time the first King property that they'd actually shot in Maine. Completely. Like, I believe that it, that was like the big oh, thing. It was actually, if I, I remember, I found it, I go to YouTube and I think there was a pretty in-depth behind the scenes sort of, uh, you know, docu- documentary about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great and, documentary. And I think, I think it's available on like, I just recently saw it on Amazon prime or shutter or Netflix maybe that's where I saw it. Maybe it wasn't YouTube. Yeah. It may have been one of those. Actually, now you say that it may have been one of those. So it was great. Cause I think that was what they said was it was, and they used a lot of extra local extras and you know, they really Mary Lambert, who is in my opinion, a fantastic filmmaker that wasn't used enough. I I'm going to say something that is going to probably either turn uh, half the audience completely against me, or it's going to make them uh, at least find my honesty endearing. Um, I actually like Pet Cemetery 2. I acknowledge it's not great. I am not going to even pretend to go, but let me tell you why it's an amazing movie. No, 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 no. But again, it's in that wheelhouse of I was in high school and I, I was finally at that age where, you know, you can go to the movies all the time by yourself and you got a little bit of pocket money. So you know, back then movies were still only like three twenty-five or something and not $40 or whatever it cost me now. And I just, I remember even liking Pet Cemetery 2, which of course she directed. And so I always found it a shame that she didn't do, I mean, she had a lot of TV, I believe, after this. Um, and I think she did a couple other movies, but um, I just always found this, I mean, this movie is so, not just horrifying at times, but it's emotional, it's moving, it's it's a great film. And I'm, I don't feel like, I mean, I guess I could read the synopsis if I need to, but I kind of feel like everybody probably knows. Pet well, Cemetery. you know, I, we are going to be discussing this in full in April. So sure. when we do a Pet Cemetery versus episode, so look forward yes. to that, listeners. Yes. Um, but yeah, just doing a little bit of internet sleuthing. I, the documentary is called Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery. That's it. From 2015. And it is streaming with the subscription on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it for yes. free. Watch um, it's it. also like a $2.99 rental on YouTube, Google Play, Vudu, and iTunes. So. 
I will not review Pet Cemetery because I'm holding that close to the vest for our versus episode. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll just tease it out because I, I bet nobody can guess where I'm going to land on the original Pet Cemetery, being that it's <laughs> in my top 10. But for Unearth, I will say it is definitely worth streaming. I would argue, I would say, yeah, it's worth for $2.99. It's, it's worth even paying the money for stream it check it out if you're a pet cemetery fan for sure i mean if you're not you don't really care then don't but but for everybody else if you are i would highly recommend it uh it, it was really it gave a, a lot of details about the making of the film that i had never heard before which was cool so i'm looking here on amazon and it looks as though with your amazon prime subscription included with prime is the original pet cemetery in 1989 as well as pet cemetery 2 1992 and the documentary unearthed and untold the path to pet cemetery. So all of those are included with prime. Oh, okay, cool. That's great. Pretty cheap date right there. Yep. There you go. Absolutely. And I love that you included pet cemetery too. Thanks for that. Thanks for throwing me a bone there, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we are now moving on. Number seven. This is a movie that, I love a lot, but did not see until I believe it was my first year in college. And my parents had always told me there was two movies that actually scared them, scared them at the movie theater. One was Alien, which, by the way, is now we're on my list. And it's not because I don't love Alien. Alien is one of the most great movies of all time to me. I don't I know it's going to be heresy. I don't consider it horror. I consider it sci-fi that has got strong horror elements to it. And it's scary as hell. Whoa. But it's it's not a horror movie to me. So. Just, that's Whoa. why it's not here. We've got I, a real stickler on our hands here, guys. We spent I, 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 the last five years breaking down Jay to be more <laughs> inclusive with his horror. Picks. I, I, no, 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 no. I, I, no, I'm saying for me. I, <laughs> no, I am totally cool if it's on your list. I get it. I'm saying though, for me, I was really trying to keep it in the vein of what I was like. Okay, this is my top ten horror. So um, if you guys said like, "What's your top ten sci-fi?" It's like right up there. It's like probably in the top three at least. So I'm um, just. But that's where I stand with that. So I'm, I'm delineating, you know, difference there. Because especially when you when we finally get to my number one, it's going to seem maybe a little ironic. But this one, <laughs> number seven, this was the other movie they said actually scared the crap out of them. And they told me something that turned out to be completely wrong and misinformation. But it was it's sort of classic urban legend stuff where people tell you, oh, and I think that movie was banned because this thing happened. And you're then when you finally run the timeline, you're like, well, that couldn't be because this came out like four years before that happened. So and that movie is Black Christmas from 1974. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Hello? Hey, Mommy. Hey, baby. I love this movie. It was a movie that because my parents had told me it scared them, I was afraid to see. And on top of that, it was oddly difficult to get. I mean, I I know kids gather around the fire that is actually a hologram because we don't create fire anymore. As we learn about the fact that at one point you couldn't just watch whatever you wanted when you wanted to. And none of my video stores had it. I couldn't find it anywhere, and it wasn't until 
some years later, I, w- I started going to, there was a specs at our local mall. And I think it was not, they weren't completely closing out all their VHS at this point. Cause I mean, VHS obviously was still around by the mid nineties, but I remember they were selling them pretty cheap and it was a used copy in a clamshell sitting there for just a few bucks. Boom. I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's it. You know, I was like finding like the Holy grail. I, so I got it <laughs> and I, and I never forget. I took it back to the apartment and my uh, roommate and I, and he'd been my best friend uh, all through high school. And we ended up making some movies together and everything else. And we were two relatively big guys. And he's even bigger than I was. You know, I'm a little over six feet, you know, 200 pounds ish at the time. And, and he's, you know, he's a bigger than I am. And we're sitting in this apartment. <laughs> we turn, and we did on purpose. We had to turn all the lights off. Like, oh, this movie. Yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. All lights off. And let's just say that before the movie's over, we had gone from sitting on like opposite sides of the living room to huddled together on the couch. <laughs> so creeped out. And it was because we had like this long hallway and it was like just a regular apartment. But it had this long hallway and I was sitting in like a rocking chair with my back to the hallway, you know? And so I was like, no, like about halfway through, I was like, no, can't do it. No, 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 no. Said move over, buddy. And I, <laughs> so I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. I think especially revisiting it, it's still creepy. Like, I think there's still some moments in this movie that are still legitimately creepy. Uh, for those that have never seen Black Christmas, it is, a, the, again, the IMDb synopsis. During their Christmas break, a group of sorority girls are stalked by a stranger. Goes every synopsis for every slasher film ever <laughs> written. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think the, what's great about this particular film is that it predates Halloween. It is a it sets up so many great tropes that we would then get in so many other slasher films Mm -hmm. i believe that and i don't know how apocryphal the stories are but there are some i guess musings that carpenter knew bob clark the director of this and of course the equally horrifying porkies and a christmas story um and that Carpenter has said that he asked Clark, are you ever going to make a sequel? And he's like, oh, yeah, if I did, I'd said it during Halloween. I, that, and I don't know if that's true. Yeah, like, no, I, kind I saw of, an interview with Clark where he talked about that. Okay, but the moment, but just part of you go, yeah, but are you just saying that? Yeah, it's interesting because I have a, uh, I have a book of Carpenter interviews and he doesn't mention yeah, that's what I'm getting about. at. Right? <laughs> and, 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 and understandably, he probably wouldn't if it were true. So right. I, I get from both points of view. Um, but I think what's cool about it is it's it again it, you watch it now and again somebody completely uninformed about the fact that you know this movie came out when it did and in the historical context of it would be like oh this movie just like all the you know it's ripping off all these other ones but then it's like oh no no this is the first one that uses the and i don't feel like this is a spoiler to give it away because you know the calls are <laughs> coming from and if you want to cut this out josh again the calls are coming from in the house this is the first one that does that so i mean yeah. many others did it come you know in, in some shortly after this one but this is such a famous trope and it's fascinating yeah, that it comes from this movie. I just, you know, I hear people use a variation on that turn of phrase that the calls are coming from inside the house. It's a, it's had cultural impact that idea. And it's yeah, funny even on a subconscious from- level, maybe, you know, it's like, but it's yeah. still there reverberates. Right. Yeah. And the, and the cast, I mean, the, it's got Olivia Hussey, you know, what, you know, Juliet, and, you know, a, a, just an amazing pro- yeah, performer. Lois Lane, and you got Andrea yes, Martin from Kidder. SCTV, very, yeah, all, yeah. very early. Care Dullia, 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey. John Saxon from Nightmare on Elm Street and many, many other movies. Right. You know, it's it, the cast is phenomenal. So uh, it's, it's a great movie. If you've never seen Black Christmas, you owe it to yourself. It is like Halloween shortly after it, within you know, a few years after it. 
is equally, maybe even, I guess, technically a little bloodier than Halloween, but not by much. I mean, it's a very quiet building horror film with with a lot of humor. Like you could see when you watch it, knowing where Bob Clark would end up going with a Christmas story, especially a Christmas story. There's certain things, actually, if you go back and watch a Christmas story now, for instance, how it ends on that final shot on the house and then the credits roll, it's very similar to the final shots of Black Christmas. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but even the aesthetic of those two movies, and even though there's 10 years between them about, you know, just short of that, there's a a look and a feel that when you watch them back to back, you're like, wow, yeah, this is kind of interesting how uh, they they both have a similar vibe. Mm. And so, uh, but with this one, it's creepy. And all I'll say is there's something involving an eye that if that doesn't make your skin crawl, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, it's a great one. I love that movie so very much. So this is, I guess, your third episode as kind of a full-time host back on Dave's fourth episode of being a full-time host on a horror movie podcast. Episode five, we covered Black Christmas. So people want to go back and visit that review. And not the remake, right? No, the 1974, right. I still have it. Did you guys ever see the remake? I still haven't brought myself to do it. I own it, yeah. I did see it once, yeah. Is it worth bothering? Because I, I, I do this every once in a while where no, I was like, I avoided, no, I, I avoided the 2011, the thing, and I turned out I was completely wrong. I actually really liked that. So... Well, the 20, I mean, 2011's I, The Thing was the, like a prequel to the first sure, one. That sure, sure, that's fair. The, the second movie. That's fair. This is this is a remake. I didn't, you know, they what it is is they they went a little bit too far into the the character, the main uh, antagonist, uh, the guy calling like to get into the background and stuff, and that just it's it, it wasn't needed for me. I thought that it, it. you know the, you don't need that because he was a lot scarier when you don't know anything about him. Sure, I'm sure we'll cover the remake on a Christmas horror special at some point. But my yeah, my take on both the that remake and also the Silent Night Deadly Night uh, remake, which was just called Silent Night, in the time they were made in kind of that mid 2000s, they were absolutely worth your time because there hadn't been slashers <laughs> for a while, and sure, not that you know horror wasn't at the peak it's at now. You know, we were right in the middle of the torture era and the found footage shaky cam era. Now. I would say probably not worth your time because there's so much quality horror cinema out there to get feast right, your eyes right. on. So. Got it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, uh, or just go back and rent the original Black Christmas. Either way. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so my number six. Dave, I'm going to make you proud. Although maybe not because you'd be like, number six, really? Uh, it's. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to jump right to it. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and not the remake. The original, nice. 1974. Awesome. Yep. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Now, this is not the Hooper movie I originally had in this spot. But this one, I I went and I kept thinking, I was like, you know, 
there's so much about this movie I've always been fascinated with. First off, I remember the video box in the store. My cousin was a big horror fan. He's about five years older than me. It was kind of like a big brother type role in, in my young life. And there's, there's a whole thing I'm sure it's about. I'll get into the stories of, of the trauma that I suffered of him saying, Hey, want to watch this? And, uh, and he would be in the horror section. And I remember seeing that cover and it was the cover. If I remember correctly, where it's more of the still of Leatherface, you know, running with the chainsaw and it, it had that gritty, just dirty. And I had it in my head that this would be the most horrible movie you could ever watch, that it was just going to damage me. I don't know where I, I had it in my head, like the title. <laughs> and I knew nothing about it. Just that picture. And that title is like, I can't ever watch this. I will. I will probably die if I watch this movie. And so it had that reputation. I, I even me going when I first went into it, it, it had the reputation of like, wow, this is about as horrific as it's going to get is, is when is what you hear or what you think it, it, for, with that movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, well, we can go into that when we co- when we cover the, the, you know, the, the, the franchise, but um, that grittiness is what makes it so, so amazing. Oh, it is. For me, yes. I, in yes. my opinion, anyway, that's, that grit. I mean, the, the, you feel the heat when they're in that van in that opening scene. Yes, that snap of a Polaroid from the beginning mm-hmm. is now used yes. all the time in every trailer. Oh, and even sometimes in podcasts, uh, you know, music. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> no, it's 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 a classic. It's uh, uh, for me, yeah, number one. But um, I'm glad to see it's in your top ten. Yeah, I, I just and I and I remember it was the. I probably didn't see it until I was in high school. I think is when I finally did see it. And relatively like 10th, 11th grade, somewhere in there. And I remember A, being surprised at how long it's like, I, I was still moved by it and affected by it. But because it is a relatively bloodless movie, it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't like a gro- I had seen grosser things at that point, obviously, by a long shot. But I remember just feeling like this is something unique this is something because no movie usually a movie that feels maybe this down and dirty would would just i don't know it'd almost be uh just such exploitation that you wouldn't even just enjoy it right but there's something about it that's oddly enjoyable and transfixing my my all-time favorite line in a movie is look what your brother did to the door yeah Oh, and the fact that Hooper, didn't Hooper consider this a comedy? Like, didn't he yeah. say he thought it was a comedy? I, yeah. yeah, and you can see that, especially as it gets a little bit later in the movie, you can see that. Which, sure. again, back to the comments about House and Night of the Creeps, is super unsettling. <laughs> like, yeah. the, 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 that character's approach to comedy is freaky. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it doesn't feel like something yeah. any of us could really relate to. Right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and I also remember this is one of the movies that when I started to you know, be very interested in how movies are made that I had found a documentary at a blockbuster or something. And it was, I can't remember the name of it, but it was just kind of like a, you know, just shot on video type of documentary where they had interviewed a lot of the cast. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe one of you guys, it was like the family portrait, a family portrait or something like that. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was, and I, and I loved it. Like, I remember I rented that. I was staying with my mom in Tallahassee. I, st- I rented that. And for some reason, the undertaker and his pals, <laughs> those are the two I rented <laughs> that weekend. And uh, the Undertaker his pals was something, uh, but the uh, the documentary about Chainsaw Mask, I just remember being fascinated by it because you know up to that point, I mean, I had an idea obviously how movies, but it was they went you know really in depth into the stories and all all the stuff, and I just it almost took the movie to like a whole other level to me. So yeah, 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 it's a great one, love it. 
So just to let our listeners know, that was the number one film on both Jay and Dave's list, and it was number six on Doctor Walking Dead's list. So ah. you're in good you're in good company there. Okay. Uh, did not appear on my list. In fact, you so far have not said a movie that appears on anywhere on any of my lists. So this is very <laughs> exciting for me. Because why you have a new target <laughs> now that Jay's not here. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're rubbing your hands together like, yes goody goody no. all right i have one that is about to be because i know for a fact it is and that is not why i put it here but number five for me halloween 1978 nice. come on halloween night a small american town 15 years ago Michael? Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Come on. I, you know, I, I, I was waiting for that. I can't believe that. You got it all the way down at number five. I at least have it at number four. Yeah, well, I'm surprised you then didn't follow it up with Dave. Yeah, it's above Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow, so. man. You're not the only person I know who has it above Texas Chainsaw. So. Well, yeah, and so again, Dr. Walking Dead has it at number eight, and Jay of the Dead doesn't even have it, so... You know. Oh, there you go. Well, you know, and I think you know when he made his comments about the 2018 version versus the 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 original. I I get what he's saying. Like I get that if you were somebody who maybe came later, you know, later to that film, that you might feel like you know because there are aspects of it. I'm sure that would be dated. I mean, for those of us that all but grew up with it, I think it just is. You know what I mean? But and it, it like honestly to this point I don't find Halloween scary. Although I will say Halloween 2018 did affect me on some level, but I've seen Halloween so many times at this point back to that comfort food analogy, it is very much like that for me, but I the filmmaking prowess on display by Carpenter, even you know you can use the excuse of like oh due to the limitations. Like no, no, no. Probably because of the limitation, but just the level of what he was able to do yeah, I, it's it's a really it's phenomenal. It's it is a masterclass in great storytelling. Absolutely, Halloween still gets to me, and I think the effect had worn off a little bit. But I just recently saw a YouTube video about all of the reasons why Halloween 2018 was a failure in his mind. And one of the interesting things that he had identified is that how basically Michael's a phantom in that first film. And he, and he talks about the more physicalized he becomes, the less scary he gets uh, because he's scary. You know, what made him scary in the original film was his intangibility. So I don't know that I completely agree with that because I, I think we've definitely seen Michael scary and tangible at the same time. 
Um, but looking back at that original film and thinking about him in that way just freaked me out the very idea of it. And so then when I revisited the movie after that, I was like, oh, this is so much creepier now with this yeah. kind of in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, right? It's it, it's something that we've talked about with other movies and that when you get different ideas planted like that and then you revisit these things, they can transform back into a different it's a different experience it's not going to scare you the jump scares are not going to work and you know certain things won't affect you because you've seen it so many times but it's almost like you by allowing that sort of intellectual exercise to go on while you're watching the movie and those and really pondering some of those questions you can effectively creep yourself out while watching a movie that you've seen a hundred times so uh yeah that's very cool i like that yeah. Uh, see, I got to, the great opportunity with a, a good buddy of mine who's about to be a family member because he's marrying my cousin, um, uh, Tyler. He and I went when they showed Halloween locally at our uh, movie theater uh, right before 2018 came out. It was like the week before. And I'd never seen it on the big screen. And it was, I, I honestly, I, I haven't had this experience too often where it was as if I had never seen it before in some ways because there were things in the frame I never had noticed. And I don't know if it's because I only ever watched it like a 19-inch Zenith or something. I don't know what 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 caused it to where I'd never noticed certain things. But mm. there was just a couple of moments and, you know, without giving anything away because you know, I don't want to spoil Halloween, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the scene where a certain character is in a laundry room and she's, you know, trying to get out of windows and whatnot. And if you, and I'm sure you guys may have noticed it for some reason, I never had noticed before that you see a reflection on the, I guess it's a window or door that's like behind her in the laundry room. And it's like a reflection from another, I'm assuming another surface reflection of Michael and it's fleeting and it's for like a second. Um, wow. And it was something about that whole experience like that. And there's a couple other moments. And it was also the one, the moment where the, the whole experience gave me this whole uh, wacky theory that we'll have to go into sometime probably uh and not at the listener's expense where i make the argument of their the, the idea that the movie is really about you know the, the whole story they give about the fates at the beginning and how laurie represents one michael represents the other and the and i'm sure probably by the way coming up with nothing original and there's been people have talked about it up one side and down the other written essays about it but it was just watching it this time i really saw things that happened that the only way you can explain them is there was something else intervening on the behalf of both of those characters so right. uh, it, and i don't see them as continuity screw-ups like oh well God, how could they miss that no, no no i think it's on purpose but that's a whole other thing we'll go there later so halloween 1978 love it enough has been said about it i can't add anything more to the conversation now number four and this one had to be in my top five because it's probably the first horror movie that i consciously went into minus say like a gremlins or something right or monster squad but it was the first one, and again, those uh, arguably like the level of horror, but this is the first one that I think most people agree, horror movie, classic, and I was about 11, probably, yeah, probably 11, and again, the aforementioned friend from the Night of the Creeps experience, he, his grandmother, somebody had this you know stack of VHS tapes, and this was amongst them, and he's like, oh, have you ever seen this? And so I was like, oh, no, no, I think I had at least high level heard of it, and I wanted to watch it. He put it in. And I was never the same and it scared the crap out of me, but it was probably, I have my memory is my sense memory is it was such a satisfying feeling. It wasn't like the pieces sleepaway camp, you know, debacle uh, of of 1988 or whatever that was. Uh, It was, it was 
a, a truly transformative moment when I first saw Night of the Living Dead from 1968. Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh, the dead whose haunted souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. adventure in fear, an experience in shock more shattering than your strangest nightmare, night of the living dead, a night with the dead who cannot die, a night of total terror. Night. Of the living dead. And every time I watch it now, even, it's still the everything from that library you know stock music that they use which i remember at the time thinking was the creepiest most chilling sounding music like if i'm at home alone and i like in the dark and i have that music just it would creep me out even now like it was mm-hmm. it's creepy mm-hmm. and just the visuals the just the 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 quality of of the dreamlike nature of of things that happen i do acknowledge that in one way that i, I i'm actually a fan by the way of the remake that uh, Savini directed in mm-hmm. 1990. I like it, it too. I like it too. Yeah. I like it a lot, and I've heard people be very dismissive of it, but I would argue it corrects what is the biggest mistake in Night of the Living Dead, which is Barbara. Barbara is like this complete like waste of space. I'm not, not trying to be mean, but the character is just completely like she shows up and goes catatonic. You're like, really? Okay. Yeah, it never, but whereas, never really recovers. You know, and and they now granted they go to like an extreme with uh, with Patricia uh, Tallman's character uh, Barbara in the remake, but she's like full on Ripley. But I'm like, okay, this is cool. I like this. This is, I like. I like that she is you know kicking butt and taking names. This is the way it should be. So, um, but I mean, Dwayne Jones is fantastic. I mean, the whole cat, everything, and just realizing that this was very much in that sort of DIY. You know, hey kids, let's put on a show. I mean, granted, they all had experience. They had all you know been commercial filmmakers, and they were they had the chops to pull it off, right? It's a movie where I'm really surprised at the performances because they are, for the most part, really, really good. (laughs) And it's surprising. For that level of of low-budget independent filmmaking at that time. Yes. um, I actually work with somebody uh, who was a teenager when this movie came out and went and saw it, I think, like as soon after it opened locally and just said it was the most horrifying experience she ever had in a movie theater. I mean, imagine being one of the first audience members to see this uh, without knowing uh, what you were getting. And it's the slow build. 
It's the, oh, I can get around them, no problem, to, wow, now there's a lot of them. It might be a little harder to outrun them, to, well, that's it. You're done. You know, it's that level of of slow build and and then there's then something happens at one point in this movie. I was watching it. I somebody got me got for me on videotape uh, for my birthday. And I'm watching it going, "Oh, I can handle this. I can handle this." And, and by the end, I'm like I was petrified. You know, it it's it it really builds to that level. You know, we actually have talked off air about getting together the three of us of visiting some of the sites from this film as well as from Dawn of the Dead and maybe even have being a listener meetup event and live podcasting from Monroeville Mall as well as the cemetery from Night of the Living Dead. So could be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Yeah. About that is a possibility. Yeah. That, that would be that, amazing. That would be awesome. So number three, we'll move on because I feel like if Night of the Living Dead was my gateway <laughs> into you know, 11 years old, right, that, that I sort of consciously said, yes, I want to watch this movie that looks like it might traumatize me. Um, this next one, I, I'm fairly certain I at least had heard of, it was Halloween at probably the last Halloween I trick or treated. I was around 13 cause it was eighth grade again. Eighth grade is sort of like my, my year. And I'm pretty sure HBO was having a triple feature. So I, I put in the VHS and I knew I was going to record all three of those suckers. So I, you know, I put it on, what was it? Uh, was it EP mode? Was that it Dave? When you could get all three? six hours it used to be slp slp yeah. that was slp slp ep and then sp sp is when you were like well, okay, really like i this movie needs to be the only one on this tape right right yeah right. ep was for slp or i was six okay got it straight out so there were there were three movies i know one of them was Pumpkinhead, which is not my number three although i do love that movie i've for years i have literally wasted i cannot tell you how many hours of my life trying to scour old newspapers to see if they have the listings from the HBO movies that would have been on Halloween night, 1989. Cause I'm fairly certain that's when it would have been. And I looked to see, okay, is this the movie that is my number three? Is that there? Okay. And then what was that? Okay. Is that pumpkin? And I can never find it. So I, I at this moment have given up the, uh, but if anybody out there happens to know what the third movie is, please tell me because my <laughs> number three movie is a movie that I saw. And I honestly, like just as the night living dead was transformative in its own way. This is where I think consciously I went, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This I'm digging. And that is Evil Dead 2. That I th- nice. Hollow yeah, Halloween. I remember I came over trick-or-treating and I watched it and I was recording and I just my mind was blown. And I watched <laughs> it over and over and over again, which led me to Army of Darkness, which depending on my mood can sometimes be my favorite in the franchise. I, I didn't actually see evil Then Peter and uh, Daryl from retro movie geek love to mock me for this. I didn't actually see evil dead until like years after I saw the, the two and three. Um, wow. But, and I, and I like evil dead. I appreciate it for what it is, but evil dead two to me was just like mind blowing. And back to that idea, there's obviously, and seeing it now, I get it humor in it, but it's so just, brutal and over the top and just I, I mean I didn't find it funny at 13 like I was not that I found it funny I found it 
just profoundly, I don't know, mesmerizing and mind blowing. Like I, I just had never seen anything like that. And I, I remember, and then when I realized it was unrated, so I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm seeing a movie this, that couldn't even get an R. This is amazing. And, and, and every, I even remember like every time that little rosebud would open up at the beginning, you know, at the uh, right before the opening credits. And then you get that, the book of the dead and just all of it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. That movie, and there's something about that Halloween and that movie just uh, always w- warms the cockles of my, my withered heart. <laughs> so that is my number three, Evil Dead 2 from 1987. Beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. You're, you're both dumbfounded, like, really? No, we're no. in the top three, and this is what we're dealing with? <laughs> no, I, I think it does tell you a lot about a person, whether they prefer the Evil Dead or the Evil Dead 2. So it's, it's I just, you know. Enough said. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Evil Dead 2 also, but Evil Dead is in my top ten. The first Evil Dead is in my top yeah. ten. But, no, I'm a big fan of Evil Dead 2. Um, you know, it's it's funny how it's Evil Dead 2, though, when it really is just sort of another Evil Dead. A remake. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically just a remake of his right. own movie. Yeah. Right. You could tell he had more money, he had more experience, and... And he yeah. had no access to any of the what he had shot previously, so he had to do something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I appreciate this because, you know, the Evil Dead, as Dave said, it's in his top 10, it's in Dr. Walking Dead's top 10, so to get an Evil Dead 2 in there is fun. Like, we did the same thing in our initial discussion way back when. Like, you know, which of the Living Dead movies is going to make your list and so uh me and jay had day of the dead and kyle and dave had dawn of the dead and so it's fun that you have night of the living dead again it's like it's just it's what i was hoping for and bringing you on as a host i think it's rounding out the show yeah, in a new way absolutely so it's exciting yeah yeah and and honestly army of darkness like and it will when we do uh an evil dead uh, uh franchise review i'll go into this more then but army of darkness holds a very special place in my heart i remember seeing it opening night and I love that movie very much. I would not, in this again, personal, personal. I don't consider that a horror movie. Like, I know it's got a lot of horror elements to it. It's very much connected to what is considered a horror franchise. But it, it really is so like je- genre bending to me that it, it doesn't. Right. Yeah. It's hard for me to rationalize the way it's okay. I don't disagree yeah. with you. Yeah. That's my wife and I. The first movie I saw, I took her to one of the first the first week we were going out. Um, and it cost me dearly because I couldn't pick another movie for three months after that. <laughs> um, I was actually going to, I was going to actually say, that's how you knew it was meant to be, Dave. Yes, and then, yes, yeah. no, no, unfortunately <laughs> well, not. She stuck it out with you she and you did, took her to, to uh, yeah. So by the way, yeah. Joe, I saw something on Facebook, uh, army of darkness, 26 years ago this week. Wow. God, I feel old. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I remember going opening night to see it. Uh, see, my, by the way, I took a date as well. This is the story I'll save for the uh, the franchise review. Um, we did not, in fact, end up together, get married because we didn't go past that night due to uh, this movie. <laughs> so that's a whole other discussion. So number two, you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this will be interesting how this one goes. Okay. <laughs> I feel like my number one is is like the uh, like it's going to be the okay one. Like it was. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. This is the one. And I almost made it number one. So when I tell you what it is, I am going to be fascinated at the reaction I get. So this movie, I guess I finally saw it maybe later high school. Uh, it, it was ubiquitous in the video store. I had never heard of it going to the movie theater. So I assumed it had been a straight to video kind of deal, even though knowing what I know now, I know it was not. It just didn't do that great in movie theater and ended up on video. It has since I know become a cult classic. Um, but it is a movie that for, and I have 
this in my life. So maybe that was partially why, though I have a much better relationship and, and love mine dearly. So it's, this is not uh, to, to draw any uh, parallels between the two, but I'm saying all this to get out that my number two is also from 1987 and it is the stepfather. Uh, see, I knew, I knew this was going to make your list. I know you're a big fan of this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> Morrison isn't his real name. What is it? God knows we don't. His personal history was falsified and his prints were untraceable. It was possible Morrison had done it before. You can call me sentimental, I don't care. I have beautiful friends, I have a wonderful new family. <laughs> He's a wonderful man, and he wants to care for us. I don't know, I just, there's just something about him. He's just some crazy creep. Don't you talk to your father that way. He's not my father. How can you even bear to let him touch you? Stop it! We have to talk, honey. About what? About what is happening to our family. I'm taking care of it. Who am I here? Help me! Help! You're a very bad girl. The Stepfather. I love this movie. And I actually have a stepfather who is nothing, nothing like Terry O'Quinn uh, in that movie. Um, maybe more like Terry O'Quinn in real life because Terry O'Quinn seems like he'd be a wonderful guy. Or how about Lost? Um, but- how about Terry O'Quinn from Lost? Yeah, it was my favorite character loss. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm noticing a pattern here. <laughs> he um, ever but, yelled, don't tell me what I can't do. Yeah. He would, he would often just stare off into space and go, who am I here? And I don't know what that was all about. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if you've never seen The Stepfather, now this is what I feel like maybe I should do the synopsis for, you know, just because. Uh, it is after murdering his entire family, a man remarries a widow with a teenage daughter in another town and prepares to do it all over again. And eh, that's that's close. <laughs> and so <laughs> it is directed by Joseph Rubin. As I said, it stars Terry Quinn, Jill Sholin, Shelley Hack, which, by the way, did an actor ever have a better name for being in horror movies? Your last name's Hack. It's actually, I believe, based on a story <laughs> <laughs> that was written by Brian Garfield, who is the guy who wrote the book Death Wish, which, of course, you know, subsequent movies. Um, and it's very loosely based on a true story uh, about a guy named John List. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about this guy. He actually did murder his entire family, um, left them, I believe he'd used a hammer, and I believe he left them in the mansion that they had because he was like he lost his job and he couldn't keep it uh, keep up the facade of their so-called perfect life uh and i believe it was maybe like his wife his kids his mother-in-law i don't think it was it may or maybe his own mother i think it was maybe his mother-in-law and he i think the idea was he left them in the home left the air because it was close to the summertime left the air conditioning on so it would slow down decomp and just left and i think i can't remember how long it may have been days if not weeks before anybody found them and and he was he was gone for years and years and years and in fact i actually remember seeing this he was one of the first if not the first show of america's most wanted they profiled this guy and i remember and and i remember them bringing out i actually remember to this day seeing that then bring out the bus i remember the time thinking that that idea was so horrifying that this actually had happened right um because i think america's was wanted started around 88 i think it was right in right in that time period 89 somewhere in there um, whereas the list murders, I think happened in the seventies, like the mid to late seventies. So he, he got away for quite a while, but because of that show and, you know, people being aware of it now, they ended up catching him, but this is loosely based on that. And it starts horrifying. 
But I think one thing I have determined about myself is I am actually, despite the fact that Evil Dead 2 is my number three and what my number one is, I'm actually a massive fan of quiet horror. So I'm sure most folks, you know, it's usually applied to literature, but I think it also applies to movies where it's a gradual creeping just it builds and it builds and even though you could say this in a sense falls kind of in a slashery but it's not and not to demean slashers i love slasher movies but it's it's not in the you know slasher mold i don't think i think it's it's more than that you really see this character in his desperate attempt to create this so-called perfect family unit and as it, uh, it, of course, shock, there's no such thing. And in his just desire, his obsession, it unravels. And just to watch him devolve. And Terry O'Quinn is just a fantastic actor. I mean, by anybody's standard, that man is amazing. And the what he did with this role and, and his ability to just with that line, who am I here? You just yeah. see it, that, that confusion and that, that moment of like, like his, like his brain has just gone into like this lockdown, like the computer is just a glitch. It's just glitching. And it, it's, it's fascinating. And I just, I love this movie. I think it's it, at times chilling, but it's, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to watch, you know, for it to come out in 87. So it was like right at the height of the Reagan era. And he's sort of the, you know, the ultimate like Ward Cleaver wannabe, but just in the most twisted way possible. And uh, I love the stepfather. I did see the remake. Don't bother. So uh yeah great great movie interesting joel that's uh, a blind spot for me i i feel like i saw it again like on television at some point but i have no recollection of it so yeah uh, I, I even like i even like the sequels i was actually gonna tell you at some point i would vote for us because only three movies so you're you're welcome uh we could do a franchise <laughs> we could do a franchise review because stepfather 2 it was actually directed by jeff burr who i'm a fan of he did uh I, I, I'm going to uh, admit it now. I love Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. He did that one. Um, <laughs> I know he himself was not a huge fan of it because he was sort of brought in at the 11th hour, hold their story. Uh, but he also did Stepfather 2 and he did a uh, anthology movie we covered during this last Spooky Flicks Fest uh, called The uh, The Offspring. So, uh, uh, Whisper to a Scream is the actual title, but it used to be called The Offspring. And um, so I actually like Stepfather 2, which Terry O'Quinn did reprise his role uh, for. So it's... Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. So wasn't this on our rare gems episode? Yes. The network. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anytime I could champion this movie, I do it because I'm always nice. surprised how few people saw it. And I'm yeah. thinking, come on, man, you gotta see the stepfather. So yeah, I just, I love this movie. It's, it's, it's a quieter horror film. I mean, it's got some pretty intense kills in it. I mean, there's moments that are pretty, I mean, for guys, and I don't think I'm giving it away. It's in the first two minutes of the movie. It, and it tells you after murdering his family, it's not like you find out about that later. Right. It opens <laughs> with, right. he's just done it and there's bodies everywhere and blood and they're not, it's, you know, kids, everything. So it's pretty disturbing, wow. uh, but it's, uh, it's just a great movie. Awesome, man. That's a great choice. All right, number one. You guys ready? Yep. Should we? Should I cue up the uh, timpani roll? Like, <laughs> I don't feel like wasting a whole bunch of time beating around the bush on this one. It's obvious. I'm pretty sure one of you has it. I think. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Or close. I know it's in your top three, and that is the thing. Twelve men have just discovered something. For one hundred thousand years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. 
This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gotta listen to Gary. He can beat one of those things. John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982. It's in my top three. Okay. Mine too. Yeah. You you have Halloween as number one though, right, Josh? Uh, yeah, and and for years I would vacillate between the thing or Halloween at my number one spot. When we did this list, I put Halloween at number one and the thing at number two. Honestly, right now I would probably put the thing at number one. Just yeah, it's it's winter. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, no, see that's right. That's what happens, right? Because it's the time yeah. of year. It's yeah, yeah, the mood you're in, and, and so for me, I love this movie. I actually remember my dad talking about it like well before I'd seen it and they planted the seed because I remember him telling me yeah it was he goes it was just too gross for me I just it was it was so gross I'm thinking really <laughs> you know, as a kid you're like oh was it now old man <laughs> I shall take your test and so but it was funny I remember seeing it and just again much kind of like the Evil Dead 2 experience being blown away I mean between yeah. you know Botine's effects but just the movie it's Look at masterclass. It's like a masterclass in filmmaking. And just all I got to say, and and it's the one that everybody knows, but the, the blood testing, like that is oh, to this yeah. day, I always jump yep. and I know it's yep. coming yep. every yep. time. And you talk about movies that scare you. This actually still scares me. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are still moments in this that do get me. Yep. And it's, and I agree it's, with it. it's such a great setup because at, they, before they even know what's going on, these guys don't like each other. They've gotten yes. to that point of being together where, you know, like they're turned down the music and they turn up the music. Yes. Uh, don't smoke that out here. And then the guy's smoking, you know, uh, smoking sure. weed right out in front and Kurt Russell pouring the pouring his drink in the computer. He's had, you yes. know, these guys have had enough. The weather's getting to them. You throw something like this so that and then throw paranoia on top of yes. it. It yes. was already a kettle going to explode. And yes. now you throw that into the mix. And that, I think, is where a lot of the geniuses in this movie because it, it you've now got just this paranoia of everybody against everybody. Yes. And it's, it's yeah. great. And the effects are, are truly amazing. Well, and I think it's funny. I, I have a bit of a love hate relationship with uh, film criticism mm-hmm. and I, when I go back and I read certain comments, I have a star log from 1982 and, and it's one of those issues where when you open it up and list and look at all the sci-fi horror movies that came out that year, you're like, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, it's just like this cornucopia of, of goodness and I'm reading and they had this breakdown about the thing and it was obviously an op-ed piece because it was so disparaging and comparing it to the <laughs> Howard Hawks original and blah, 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 blah. And look, I've revisited the. It is what it is. Okay. It is a product of its time. Yeah. But, and I get that maybe in 1982, you weren't ready. <laughs> but I, I think if you ever had a movie that fits the cliche of ahead of its time, it's the thing yeah. that it, 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 meaning John Carpenter's, it, it just people's reaction to it. You find any critic from that time period, they hate it. Virtually all, I mean, I'm sure there's a few that didn't, but virtually all of them hate it. Not just like, oh, it didn't quite work for me, or they tried. No, I mean, it's full on, this is an abomination. This one lost a lot of money, and it, it came out right after E.T. I'm talking like yes. weeks yes. after E.T. So people wanted friendly aliens whose fingers glowed, and, and they ate little, you know, peanut butter candies. 
They not they chest mouths that uh, ripped your arms off. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that sort of figured into it as well. But this was when the studios were starting to think like, you know, because Carpenter had been, God, you look at the movies he did before, obviously Halloween, um, Escape from New York, uh, just some, some great film. But the, for me, the thing is his masterpiece for me. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's just so funny when when you look back and I can't imagine a time anybody seeing this movie and not realizing that. Yeah. Because you know how many movies and, and I love practical effects, right? But you go back and you revisit some and it doesn't always hold up or at least not across the board. Right. I, we, I feel like you'd be hard pressed. I know some people are like, Oh yeah, but this one thing, I mean, yeah, I guess you're going to be a nitpicker, but the fact of the matter is across the board, these effects work and mm-hmm. they, and they, they work tremendously well and it's it's a movie that when i find out somebody hasn't seen it before i just the level of giddy excitement i get and like the idea of being the one that introduces them to it i like oh you've never seen the thing oh really you haven't and it's just i get so i i, I just i don't know maybe it's a weird like a uh, bit of a, a sadist thing because i know that it's going to probably try, the fact that they've never seen it or maybe only vaguely heard of it i'm like oh buddy you're in for it you're yeah you think you're you think you're tough let's go i i think that it just, it's so well done. It is just a fantastic movie. It's almost always at my number one and overall, like all movies, like all genres. It sometimes changes spots with maybe, maybe Raiders every once in a while. It depends on my mood. Like if I've just watched one or the other one, I'm like, ah, I really do love this movie. And I say, yeah, I like, maybe it's my number one today. So, but other than that, it's almost always at my number one. And I almost thought, okay, I feel like it's one of those that would be in a lot of people's number ones probably, but it is, you know, it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I gotta be honest. That's just what I put there. So that's cool, man. I didn't realize you were such a big fan of this movie or else we would have had you on the episode where we reviewed it, but yeah, no, I, I, I understand. No, I understand guys. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> No, it's it was a versus. Was that a versus we did, Josh? It was. It was. Yeah, it was okay. Howard Hawks version versus John Carpenter versus the, you know, the remake reboot prequel. Right. Um, and actually, but that you. Hey, by the way, I I I remember that episode because that was the reason why I finally watched the 2011 one was because of you guys. Interesting. I rem cool. I remember. I loved how, and it was you, Josh, and I remember you specifically talking about if you've never seen the 2011 version, go watch it, and then immediately after start the 82 version. And I remember thinking, that's cool. And I did that. And I remember awesome. loved it. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. I didn't get to, it was like one of the things where it was sort of late. So I didn't get a chance to watch the rest of the 82, but I started yeah. it and like watched it a decent way into the movie. And it was, it, it flowed really well. And that, so uh, that was cool. Yeah, really was very cool. So do you want me to high level, like fast, not really, you know, go into them in any great detail, but to say what my 11 through 20 are just, Maybe yeah, just title. Like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's okay. 11, 11 is psycho 1960. Yeah, my list. Number 12 is Poltergeist. Dave's list. Which, again, was originally where Texas Chainsaw was. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I kind of like talked myself out of it. It was weird. <laughs> and then let's see where number 13, The Exorcist, 1973. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen it multiple times. And honestly, there are still parts of that movie that still get to me. Dave's list. Yeah. <laughs> right. Next one, I don't think either of you have. I'm fairly okay. certain. That is going to be, we're up to 14. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes. From 1977. Good pick. That yeah. Good. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I've always been a fan of that movie. I love it. Uh, and uh, let's see. We're going up to number 15. Of course. Dawn of the Dead, 78. 
Yes. Fantastic movie. On Dave's list, I I could it's it's definitely in my top twenty as well. Yeah. Okay. Another one I know is not on either of your lists, and I know that I'm probably going. I think you appreciate it on some level, but uh, number sixty for me, A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. I actually saw that right around, and it may have. I said The Night of the Living Dead being my first, you know, like sort of where I knew Night of the Living Dead is like a close second because it was the exact same place same house same person maybe even like the same day i i just remember those two movies watching them on vhs very close together I, so you know, i i know i lost a ton of horror cred when we did that uh franchise review probably but i i was trying to go in pretty open-minded and i was really impressed with those movies i think i just i'm not a fan of freddy but i love the concept of that world i love yeah. mm-hmm. the the idea and the, the way it plays out is always super interesting all of the creativity in that franchise and uh yeah i mean that first movie especially i, I really enjoyed yeah I'm, I'm a huge fan of of the whole franchise myself you could do so much with that premise but yeah yeah I, I, for some reason i, I mean freddie is kind of like a symbol as, as is chucky of like why i didn't consider myself a horror fan through the 90s you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, they just didn't feel I, they just didn't register for me but um, yeah, yeah. And honestly, there, there's a good, you said Chucky's so like child's play yeah. on any given Sunday. He could be in my top 20 because I love child's play. The original. I love it, um, yeah. but it's not right now. It just, but you know, I love it. So actually like all, almost all of them minus seed. Uh, okay. So let's see, we're going on to, we said 16. That was a West Craven. We're going to hit West Craven again. And this is probably the most recent movie on my list, which is going to be scream. Uh, from 1986 that is my most so you, recent you are the retro movie geek so I, oh, that is to be like fair to be fair mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i remember seeing scream a week before my wife and i got married and it we i was working in a movie theater and i remember that we could screen the movies beforehand to make sure the prints you know weren't messed up and mm-hmm. actually one of the reels was jacked up it was called a green print where it was still i guess when the process they would almost be still be wet and it would stick together and that's how you'd you know it burn they get stuck in the gate and it would burn and all that stuff mm-hmm. and but we would that first night we watched it it played flawlessly and then um it was, yeah, because we got married on the 20th. They came, it came out the 20th. So it was like right about a week. I previewed it. And then the, like right before, like we were like, the, not, it wasn't really a bachelor party, but like literally like the night before or like a couple nights before we watched it again, like at night in the theater, nobody else there. I'm going to tell you right now, I was 20 year old, quote unquote, man. And I remember going up into that booth and it was a long, it was a 10 screen theater long dark booth with just a you know, little ceiling you know recessed lighting and all of them were out and it was the only screen that was i had to go and turn the projector off that was terrifying <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning after wow. watching scream it was nice. awesome i remember just my just my heart was racing it was fantastic <laughs> but it was terrifying so That's i cool. love scream it holds a very special place in my heart and always will daryl if you're listening to this which i know you're not don't make fun of it. All right. So, <laughs> you know how you guys had that uh, shared army of darkness date scenario for me. Scream was the movie. It was playing in our local second run theater. And I, I, I had already seen it in the theater and I, it was the movie I took every single one of my friends to mm-hmm. sat down watched their reaction. I took two or three different dates to it. <laughs> I must have seen that 15 times at the second round theater. But oh yeah, uh, yeah, and and working at the theater, I think I've told you this before, Josh. I probably watched the opening 10 minutes 
40 times if I saw it once. Yep. Because every time it would play, I would find an excuse to go, quote unquote, check the theater. And I would just sit down there <laughs> from the moment, the moment that phone started to ring and the title did its thing to the point where we 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 smash cut to the high school. I was there every freaking time. Oh my God, love that opening. Still do, <laughs> yeah. love that opening. Classic. Yes, it is. Number 18, I, I love how, I'm not gonna talk about it much, I'm just gonna jump right into the titles. All right, uh, 18, had to have a vampire movie, greatest vampire movie of all time. I do love Lost Boys, but it's not Lost Boys. It is from the same year though, Near Dark, 1987. Yeah, great movie. I love, and I love it more every time I see it. It is such a good movie. I mean, it's the wrong choice, but it's a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) I love Lost Boys. I love it. I really do. I truly do. But I'm thinking, okay, talking top 20 here, near dark. Um, Number uh, 19. That's hard for me to hear when the Lost Boys is my number three. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, I'm not saying that would make you less of of a film uh, person aficionado to have it like anywhere close to your top 20 but you know if it's in your top three we'll let it go all right so <laughs> number uh, 19 now this one is probably going to be a little bit like really oh, okay um i don't know maybe for some people it would be from 1986 the hitcher oh yeah oh interesting pick that's yes. a, that's another one we've for years have been talking about doing like yes. a, a horror on the road and doing like wrong oh, turn yeah. and I love horror on the road stories so yeah. I look from duel to joyride to wrong turn to, I love those types of movies and the hitcher it just it captures something for me and I don't know what it is it's, it is a bleak movie and it is a dark movie um, and it's not as you know it's funny it's one of those movies where I think a lot of people go back and they think it is a violent movie but there's a, especially a key moment and I know yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about that yeah. is so unsettling so upsetting and you see virtually nothing but I remember just as just watching it the first time and being unbel- like just devastated by how that mm-hmm. goat turns around because mm-hmm. I had never I don't think I had seen a movie that I could recall I mean maybe I had but at that point where like wait th- that's not supposed to happen no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. that doesn't happen it, yeah it, oh. it's just very very dark movie but and and so you know good. Alfred Hitchcock did the whole sort of uh, the wrong man thing you know he sort of uh one of his trademarks is the wrong yeah. man you know, north by northwest and even the wrong man sure even he would cringe at what poor C. Thomas Howe goes through in this movie. Oh, um, yeah. With, with everybody sort of coming after him and Rutger Hauer. It's um, fantastic. It, I mean, he's great in almost everything, I think. But this could be his most, well, definitely most sinister character, which is saying something if you look at some of the other movies he's, he was <laughs> right. in. Mm-hmm. But hey, you got to say one of his top performances, if not his his best. I think he was, yeah. I mean, it's hard to go with Blade. Yeah, it's hard to go against Blade Runner. I thought yeah. he was awesome at Blade Runner. <laughs> um, but Easy he's either. so good. He is so good in this movie that even though he is, he is like the personification of evil, it's up a notch when he's on screen. Yeah. And you dread him. But yes. So yes. much energy when he's there. Yes. Yes. It's kind of like a Hannibal Lecter thing in a way. Like yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's, he's so charming in a sense, but in calculating and interesting and intelligent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fa- it's fascinating. And yeah. I think it's a great movie. And if you've never seen the Hitcher, highly recommend that is one where I have not yet watched the remake. Um, I haven't either. This, I'll be honest. I haven't bothered either. Yeah. I don't think so. I have either. And then my last one, because even though, it's not a scary movie, okay? I, I realize that. But for the love of God, it's my moniker. 
It's a creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954. If I didn't have my top 20, (laughs) I would just, it would just be a shame. And then, of course, honorable mention, because I'm lame that way, I'm going to say Monster Squad. (laughs) (laughs) So there it is. Nice. Very good, Joel. You've done our listeners a great service, first of all, by introducing yourself, and you've done a fantastic job at uh, defending your already very strong choices that needed no defense. Right, right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I did my due diligence and uh, made sure that we uh, had yet another episode that went over two hours long. Oh, yeah. Well, you, know, you, I, you know, I just I think this has been so much fun for me because I think we really did see that your tastes are similar and different. I don't know what the way to put this is. Uh, you're similar enough that we can have like reasonable conversations, but different mm-hmm. enough that you're going to be bringing something totally different to the table. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. exactly what we'd hope for. Right. So. Cool. Well, that makes me happy. That's what I was hoping for myself. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So that about wraps up this episode. Let's go ahead and kick it over to you, Josh. Let the good folks know where they can find you online. You can find me in the club. uh, (laughs) One of our listeners, Raul, this week uh, said that whenever Jay had said, tell the listeners where they can find you. He always thinks of that song (laughs) in his mind. So I thought that was funny. Um, You can find me on social media at Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, actually. Um, I also wanted to mention some of our upcoming episodes are going to be a lot of fun. You know, we do our holiday-themed horror movies. Sometimes we do a lot of Christmas shows. We do those every year. We've also done the Bloody Valentine's episode, Horror on the Fourth of July. One that's been neglected is, frankly, St. Patrick's Day. And, yes. you know, it was, with the intent of missing out on a full franchise review in October, <laughs> we thought, well, maybe we just do the two movies that are known to be good in the franchise, which is the original and then the latest one. There might be a couple others in there for the diehard Leprechaun fans, but we're not going to get into those. So uh, that will be a fun St. Patrick's Day episode, I think. We'll, we'll cover those two Leprechaun movies. And also, I don't know, maybe this is offensive, but I want to talk about the current state of Irish horror because I think there are a lot of great Irish horror films coming out. I, I am part Irish on my mother's side. So okay. I'm about half Irish, I think. Yeah. So, Josh, I think you're good. I think you're good. Okay. We're safe. Uh, you got All to, right. you're represent, we're representing. Okay, good. <laughs> this is the point where Daryl tells me to shut up, by the way. well that's good to know um we're also going to be covering as joel uh, alluded to earlier we're going to be doing jordan pills us and the shutter documentary horror noir which is about the history of uh, black representation in film that will be a fun episode what other episodes do we have coming up those are the two that we know about right now yeah those are the two Uh, big ones yeah and they're both going to be great right dave Absolutely. Yes. All right. So, Dave, where can the good people find you? All right. Uh, find me at dvdinfatuation.com, on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. I also have a Facebook and an Instagram page. Uh, other podcasts, the We Deal in Lead uh, Western podcast, the uh, Universal Monsters podcast, and I'm also on the Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, Justin Beam. And the day before we record the Leprechaun episode, you can find me hugging someone with the flu or putting my hand in a blender. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, guys, when are we going to do another Universal Monsters cast? We 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 got all the old episodes up. They yes. should be available now. They we had a malware attack, I should say, for people who don't know. The three of us do a podcast with Liz, the bride, and we talk about Universal Monsters and uh, with a special focus on the emerging dark universe. Now there's been new news with Jason Blum taking that over. We are going to continue that show, but um, when, guys? When are we going to make time? (laughs) That's a good question. I would like to because we still have the 90s mummy mummy, or the 1990s, early 2000s mummy to go through. And there were some other other non-universal mummy movies, I believe. And the non-universal mummies that we were talking about. So we still have a couple more before we wrap up uh, the mummy series of episodes. Well, that'll be um, fun. And we also have a, a bonus episode there where we talk about the shape of water. And yep. we'll be releasing that very soon. So yeah, stay and, tuned. And maybe had uh, some uh, audio footage. I don't know what you would call that uh, of uh, Rico Browning uh, talking at a at a con. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it'll be there too. I was going to say I can't wait to hear that episode because I remember nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be new then to you. We recorded like we were saying. Oh, there's a new movie just released, The Shape of Water. Yes, yes, I believe. <laughs> was that so. right after it won the Academy Award? I believe it's one. It might have been. Yeah. Yeah, but so still, it's, it's been a year. Ago. It's been a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's been about a year. All right. Well, that's been a long time promised, but it, it actually is happening now. So stay tuned for that. Yes. Excellent. I'm excited awesome. about it because like these two, I'm also on that Universal Monster show, which I love. And I can also be found at RetroMovieGeek.com, podcasting with Peter and Daryl and all of our guests and shenanigans that go on over there. You can uh, also follow us on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek. We love your comments and hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find all 169 of our past episodes. And you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, you can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash Horror Movie Cast. And you can become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for $2.50, which gives you access to our monthly special features episodes at patreon.com forward slash Movie Podcast Network. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again Monday after next for a Versus episode. It's Leprechaun 1993 versus Leprechaun Returns from 2018. And nobody's more excited about that than Dave, Dr. Shock Becker himself. Nobody. (laughs) Absolutely. I cannot wait. (laughs) And we thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Ghost train. There's a ghost train. Can can you guys hear that? Yeah, I heard a ghost train, man. That was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I conveniently live right outside the dart, which is Dallas's public transportation system, and it sucks, and I'm sorry. That's okay. (laughs) You're sorry, and you're sorry, and we'll deal with it. No worries. Go ahead. I mean, I think some people thought I hit a midlife crisis, and that could have some truth to it. You know, I'm going to be 43 this year. And then there are even rumors 
of me starting a rap career. Which is <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> which is funny. But there's no truth to those rumors, is what you're saying. That's Jay. right. That's okay. Right. I'm not actually okay. trying to be a rapper. Okay. It is funny. So I, I just didn't want people to think, wow. He done bumped his head, lost his mind, and stopped <laughs> to be a rapper. That's kind of what I was talking about in terms of visibility. Like even someone who knows someone like Chelsea and has worked with her on 25 movies or whatever they worked on together was a lot um, that he still was kind of deaf when it came to that topic. Yeah. You know, he just had, hadn't really seen what was there right in front of him. I don't know, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting um, when that whole Jason Blum thing happened, uh, you know, Chelsea was the first person on social media, you know, singing the praises of Jason Blum and and defending him. Right. So it's, it's always interesting to see like the people who are closest, you know, to those people. Hey, we're all human. We all mess up. We all say stupid stuff that we shouldn't have said. Um, sure. So it was really interesting, you know, to see her being like, hey, like there's like, you know, another side to this. And it's not just the, right. uh, the sound clip or, you know, sure. hot quote of the day. Over on Movie Podcast Weekly, there were like 11 episodes that we had recorded over the past few years that I just never got released. I never got caught up on them. And so I'm still releasing one of those per month until they're all released. I just feel like, um, you know, those listeners and my co-hosts who spent the time to record. I mean, that's 22 hours of recording. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I owed it to everybody to put those out there. And then, so if anyone wants to hear my thoughts on Aquaman on its one year anniversary of being in theaters, <laughs> it will be available. <laughs> yeah.